Howdy, y'all. Just uh, drinking some Kool-Aid. Don't drink the Kool-Aid, Dogbot. Also, it's delicious. <laughs> is it bitter at all? It's not as good as Tang, but it's delicious. Oh, dude, Tang. I remember Tang. What about Ocean Spray? That's different, though. Tang is a powdered beverage. Kool-Aid is a powdered beverage. Ocean Spray is a bottled drink. Anyways, hang on. Also joining us this evening, Grognak. Hello. Hello. We beat me to the Kool-Aid. Yeah. Well, there's probably going to be several Kool-Aid jokes made tonight. I saved some Crystal Light for uh, Grognak. Do you believe in Crystal Light because you believe in you? Dude, dude that stuff. <laughs> my mom my mom had boxes of that stuff. Oh, same, dude. I, I drank the Crystal Light iced tea until I was like 26. I was addicted to it because my it's all my, my uh, dad would have at the house. Yeah, I'm sure my stomach's going to rot out from aspartame cancer no you'll have brain lesions. And cancer. brain oh, lesions, brain lesions. Brain that's lesions. fine yeah, that's what it was mm-hmm. thanks a lot donald rumsfeld oh is it his fault yes when he was president of merck i want to say oh okay uh, yeah he put oh yeah dude these this was back when the revolving door of you know washington from the business sector back to Wait, back sector. when that's dude that's still going on well no i know but that i'm saying that's it's that's it. It's nothing new, is what I'm saying. It's like he was way back when, when they were, you know, they've been doing this forever. Somebody would be the president of some company that would be regulated by the EPA, and then they would come and become the assistant director of the EPA. Where oh, Rumsfeld, nice. yeah, Rumsfeld was, uh, he was, what was he, uh, Secretary of Defense, right, during 9 11. He was, oh, yeah, yeah, Airplane. yeah. So the current Secretary of Defense, uh, was a board member for Raytheon. Right, exactly. Just that's how that's how it works. The revolving door from the private sector to the public sector. Uh, there's no it, division. There's no like no. hard like. There's no like, hard line. No. There's no no. Okay. No, they're actually the same thing at this point. But um, oh. what I was saying about Rumsfeld is he was the um, chief something of Merck, and when they were putting aspartame on the market, and um, he covered up the uh, well, it, they put this stuff on there. But you know, you know that little. There's a word on the side of your diet coke, and it's like kind of a funny word, phenylalanine, you know. And then mm-hmm. there's like there's another word they made up phenylketonurics contains phenylalanine. Like that's a pretty cool phrase. I'm surprised nobody's used that in like a rap song or anything or like a techno song, whatever. But uh, phenylalanine is what is, I believe, metabolized from aspartame, and that's what actually causes the brain lesions. So they're actually telling you. On the packaging for aspartame, that it contains phenylalanine, which nobody knows really what that is. Nobody cares. It's just on this weird word on the side of my Diet Coke. All of that from a crystal light joke. Yep. People hate me at work. They'll say something and I'll give them like the real. They're like, oh, Jesus, John's gone again. <laughs> Did you know that the president of that company, his parents were actually uh, German Jewish immigrants? And oh, my God. Like. <laughs> 
We have an Andrew Tate respecter at work, and um, I'm I'm breaking him from from that. Oh, did you play him the absolutely video where absolutely. he was doing the teenager? Uh, would you rather? Yes. Yes. It, it, like I, that's one of my favorite little pieces of video, only because it basically sums up the entire online manosphere. Uh, ecosystem. Yes. Also, it just outs Megan Fox as a tranny. Right, but just the the fact that he can try to okay, justify. He starts it off. Yeah, he starts it off with like this sort of egotistical thing going on where he's like, you know, look look at me remodeling this space where I'm putting these expensive cars that you you'll never drive because you're not cool like me. He no, well, no. And, he even says he's like poor boys don't understand. That's so, a, whatever. That's exactly what he says. Like, no, I've seen the clip enough times laughing at this. Like, multiple people have shown this guy this clip this week at work. It's pretty funny. But, um, but, but yeah, there's, he, like, he, the, he fact goes, that he, the fact that he would try to frame a, like, teenage girl's would you rather as this sort of, like, big brained thought experiment, that's the entire Manosphere ecosystem right there is, is they'll post these things that everybody already knows. And make it seem like they'll phrase it in such a way that they try to make it seem like it's sage advice. Like this one guy, I remember this one Manosphere account was like, don't buy expensive suits. Buy suits off the clearance rack and go to a tailor and have them uh, fit it to you personally. Uh, okay. It's actually cheaper that way, probably. Right. Like that's, yeah, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, that's actually but, that's actually good advice. Yeah, thanks, thanks, Manosphere guy. Yeah, that's actually good right, advice. But, yeah. but if 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 you if you word it a certain way and you break the sentences up, it looks like it's something really profound. How I don't I don't, I don't know how you could spin that into a, something into profundity. But well, the the entire Manosphere ecosystem online exists because of a lack of dads. Oh, a hundred percent. I I agree just, with that. I agree with that a hundred percent. I say this a lot is that there's absolutely no way that a woman can raise a man. It just doesn't work. Like a woman re- can raise the, a boy, but a woman can't raise a man. The reason it's profound when young men hear from Jordan Peterson to make your bed and clean your room. It's because their dad never told them to do they, that. Yeah, it's because they didn't have a dad say, I'm going to take away your joystick and video games if you don't clean this effing room. Yeah. Clean your clean your room. Yeah, clean your room, Bucko. You don't need Kermit the fucking retard Juden Peterstein. Hey guys, you need to be cleaning your room. Yeah, you don't need... You don't need yeah, careful. Don't say Israel. Let's start crying. But... um like no they don't need that you, like the fact that zoomers need a youtube channel called dad how do i that's that's painful and it, it is painful for someone who who and i came out of the generation like one of the very first uh generations of raised by the single mom who don't need no you know strong strong woman who don't need no man my my parents got divorced when i was like 5 but i saw my dad like every weekend Pretty much. So like my dad was there. He would come to school functions. He was at my baseball games, all that kind of stuff. So like we had the dad ish thing going on. Like, you know, I was still called a retard for holding the flashlight in the wrong place, you know. And do you know why that circumstance occurred? It's because boomers were incredibly psyoped and brain effed by the air quotes yeah. sexual revolution and the drug induced revolution. Brain broken. The sixties yeah. and seventies. Mm-hmm. 
Well, yep. kids nowadays are also raised by the internet. Like, they, and they are because their parents. Even if their parents are around, they're like, oh, let's see if mom and dad, if, if that's true. And they Google it. And it's like, what the fuck? There's also, yeah, they, <laughs> dude, yeah, I have a 16 year old. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you know what it's like. You know what it's like. And that's why. And my kid, here's the thing is he's like, yeah, dad, you're always right, dad. You're always right. And, and as he's looking it up, I'm making the the yellow guy with the hands face like at him at all times because I am always right. And he gets mad. My kid gets mad because he he tries to go to the Internet to at well, actually me. And mm. he, imagine being a teacher right now. Oh, my oh. God. Ugh. But, well, I think it'd be kind of kind of funny as a student, but uh, to like, well, actually, some of the the history stuff, you know, um, but like, what do you mean, like a math teacher or something? Well, just all these kids have their phones in class. You can't tell them to you'll take it away or put it down or whatever. They're just allowed to use it. And, you know, most of them, the idea is, well, if the kids aren't looking up and paying attention to the teacher, they're not being interesting enough. Too bad. Like you had the you had the woman that was beaten within an inch of her life because she decided to take a uh, subhuman's Nintendo Switch from him during class. Yeah, he was playing. He was yeah, he was probably playing. You know, Smash or something. Zelda. Well, he was. He definitely played Smash afterwards. Right. That's right. That. That. Thank you for finishing that one for me. Appreciate it. Yeah. Um, but. Yeah, you can't. You can't do anything with students in, in public schools anymore. So, like, what is even the point of being a teacher if not to groom them sexually? Anyway, that's a whole other. That's a whole other thing. So let's not. Yeah, she, yeah, she might be breathing through a flute of ocarina right now. Okay, that was uh, a Zelda reference. Johnny. I know. I I know what the, it was. The ocarina of time. I know. Yes, I know. I know what the. Never mind. The worst part of that video is just watching all the other teachers kind of do nothing. Yeah. They're, they're too scared. Yeah. Right. Well, that kid's I bigger mean, than I, all I of mean, them. That, that kid like, was bigger it, than everybody. It, well, also, he, you, you can't put your hands on that right. one fellow. He's a special class citizen, so. Wasn't he special needs, too? They did, they weren't there when that fight started, Johnny. She may have said the N-word. Right, right, right. But this is true. Um but wasn't he special needs too? This is a whole. All right, we're, I don't. Know. This is a different stop. Doesn't different matter. show. Different. Doesn't matter. Don't matter. Di- Back different to show. Different show. Back to Kool Aid. Uh, well, blacks and Kool Aid. You know, maybe drinking a purple drink. But uh, we uh, we kind of have a theme, sort of pre-planned, accidentally pre-planned out, just based on uh, what we've decided to do for topics this season. It kind of seems that we're going to be talking about. MK Ultra C, uh, CIA programs like Project MK Ultra quite a bit this season. Um, mind control, trauma-based mind control, psyops, um, false flags, um, fake and gay operations, uh, media hoaxes—all of these things. Like, there seems to be a lot of stuff to talk about about that, with, and they all kind of go together. So. Very, very aggressive behavior modification techs, techniques mm-hmm. used on the populace at large to in many induce different, social social modification in many different ways. Yeah, in many many different ways, and it seemingly all comes from um one place, which is interesting, which is the CIA. 
And, and a lot of it out of California. And a lot of it out of California. But before that, uh, before it was the CIA, a lot of these guys were SS officers and uh, members of the NSDAP and scientists and psychologists and psychiatrists, surgeons and other forms of doctor uh, and military officers in the uh, in the Third Reich. So. Yeah, that's that was an interesting thing to find out that was actually true. Yeah, isn't it funny to find out all these people with the small hats are working with all these fellows from the NS? Isn't that DAP? weird? Yeah, that all of these fellows named Oppenheimer and other Jews, and I can't think of any Jews off the top of my head right now, but all these Jews were working with all of these these American Jews and European Jews too, but mostly American Einstein. Jews. We're, Einstein, yeah, we're working with all these Nazis, these these anti Semites who had just Holocausted six million Jews. Isn't that isn't that incredible? Did you guys, not know, it's, not, it's not that incredible to me that a parasitic class of people would use actually like would actually use the spoils from the hard labor, it, it, you know, be it mental or physical labor of other ethnicities. You know, the, like in Project Paperclip, you know, the like the people doing the heavy lifting are the ones with the actual brains. The ones that benefit from it are the parasitic bureaucratic class types. Um, what do you mean by the ones with the brains that are actually doing the heavy lifting? Define what define heavy lifting in 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 Project Paperclip. Well, Werner von Braun is, you know, you know, he was the, he he was the one that knew how to make rockets work. Well, he Einstein, okay. So here's Einstein. Hang on. Einstein just worked at a patent office and stole ideas did, from the patent office. Did Werner von Braun know how to make rockets, though? Or was he just a really good rocket propagandist who wrote a book about rockets? Um, uh, you, asked, you asked for an example. That was what I had off right. the top of my head. Well, that's not, I mean, yeah, well, I, I personally, I think Werner von Braun is the face of Project Paperclip because uh, his work with Disney and whatever, when the reality is the Project Paperclip was was MK Ultra, the CIA, and uh, Operations Chaos, and stuff like, um, uh, I don't have my notes from the from the uh, the Harvard experiment and stuff like that. That the the majority of Operation Paperclip, Project Paperclip, whatever it was, was uh, this psychological and um, psychiatric experimentation that the that these uh third reich scientists that we we employed these third reich scientists in our colleges and hospitals and schools and library wherever libraries uh corporations think tanks <clears throat> and they performed uh mind control experiments on americans you know and but 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 werner von braun is the face of operation Pro- project paperclip you know because it's just it's, to me. It seems that there's a lot more to that, and, and and again, Werner von Braun seems to be a face to me at this point, especially considering how much the uh, these idiots still want to want to want to fawn over Werner von Braun. Okay, <laughs> it was just an example. <laughs> I, I like I I, I imagine the ones that the Montauk Project and uh, the Manhattan Project and things that the one the ones that were brought over from Nazi Germany, they did the heavy lifting. And the, the reason that the Jews were able to work with them is because they don't mind benefiting off of the hard work of others. 
Well, what I'm what I'm saying is like, why would these Nazi scientists work with these Jews if they were such anti Semites who just Holocausted a bunch of Jews? Because it was a it was a party, and not everybody that not everybody that lived in the country really had to believe in all these hardcore tenets of the party that people assume people like. Well, if you were, uh, I don't Americans, know, if you were... Americans, Americans living in 2023 who look towards the Nazi party as this thing that they really wish that they were a part of, what they don't understand is that was just that was just like the party that people joined at some point when things start getting really good and successful, and you know during Germany's rise to power. So they, so the the ones, okay, the ones that may have believed everything <clears throat> ideologically are the ones beating up communists in the middle of the street before the party comes to power. But after the party comes to power, people are going to start joining the party because they want to get work. You know, they're not, they're not going to sit there. They're, they're, they're definitely not going to speak against the party, but they're not like, but when they get a chance to flee the country, instead of getting raped by a bunch of Soviet soldiers, they're not really going to care about like the hardcore tenants of you know whatever the planks of the party no, are. No, but they're I really gonna, I, they're gonna go they're gonna go where the fucking work is. <laughs> sure, they're gonna go work for the country that's just completely bombed out their entire country and just like killed. You know, oh yeah, those all those those uh, people that went to Dresden and whatever. It's no big deal. We're just gonna go work for the government that that did all that. Well, I some of the have... hardcore ideological ones that may worked in the rank and file they they fled to different countries. Mm-hmm. I'm. I'm just saying that the whole concept of the Project Paperclip seems really sus. You know, just these captured scientists now hanging out in suits and ties, taking pictures. They don't seem very captured. You know what I mean? If you're on Disney, if you're on, if you're making Disney movies, you don't seem very much like a prisoner, you know? Well, I mean, it, it, it was it's very believable to the extent that um, you're sitting there and you have to make a choice between which country that you're going to end up in because you have skills that other people don't have. And you look at America and you're like, oh, I think I can I think I can make do over there. You know, I, I can't imagine very many of them looking at the, the USSR going, well, that seems really attractive, freezing my ass off and uh, waiting in bread lines. Right. But like, why wouldn't they just all go to Argentina then? Because. Like what I said earlier, the ones that may may have ideologically believed that I you know the, you know f no am I going to work for the the country that blew up everything? Yeah, I could see them go trying to hide away in a jungle, perhaps in Argentina or Chile or whatever. But ended up being never mind. Okay, never mind. All right, it's fine. It's fine. You don't. It, it's cool. I get your point. Um. So. Back to the uh, Nazi founding of the CIA, right? Over half of the original CIA um, membership staff, whatever you want to call them, um, agents, like the agency, what would you call? What would you call employees? At this point, what would you call? What would you if you work for the CIA and you're like, would you just be an agent? Because you could be an agent or an analyst. What would you be? I would. I would Operative. call it a syn- Operative. syndicate. A syndicate. If you're a member yeah. of the CIA syndicate, all right, that's cool. Um, Half of them were SS. Like half of the CIA's intelligence was SS. Um, so much so, there were so many Germans, former National Socialist Party members who were you know, just here to get work, um, who were, uh, were uh, founding our intelligence agency 
the biggest intelligence agency in the world that uh, they there were so many of them that they had to basically take the OSS, dismantle it, and rewrite its entire like policies and uh, procedures completely, just because the the, uh, the Germans were so far ahead in the intelligence game. So now we we are our CIA is completely fifty percent SS. We're now the FBI is fifty percent LGBT. Wow. Um, it's a totally other thing though. So the, one of the books that we are covering for this particular, for this particular series is the book was Jonestown, a CIA medical experiment, a review of the evidence by Michael Mayers. And in the book, one of his examples for an SS Nazi transferring over to the CIA seamlessly and without any pro any, any problems whatsoever was a man named uh, Albrecht Alfred von Bolschwing. Yes. And according to a 1981 newspaper article, it says it says from the book, um, the war over von Bolschwing made a very crucial move to his future success. He became an American spy. He knocked on the door of the U.S. Army intelligence, a source explained, and said, I'm experienced. I have a ring operating. If you give me a paycheck, I'll make you very happy. Right. That's like... So like basically, I mean, that was the TLDR of the conversation, but yeah. Yeah. And so, and, and so he went on to, he went on to move weapons and all sorts of things for all sorts of clandestine and for clandestine operations that the CIA had all, all throughout Latin America Mm -hmm. and Northern Africa. He was a busy guy. He was a very busy guy. Um, Von Bolschwing is his name. Uh, he, who is he, what was the name of the company that he worked with? TCI. TCI. It's a tech invest, a high tech investment firm in Sacramento. Yes, where in California. So that's California. the other thing. A lot of these Nazi national socialist scientists. Uh, this guy was what was he in Germany? What was his deal? He was a what? He was an agent. And just he was a, he was a spy, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. He had he already had a spy ring set up. He was basically telling the Americans, he's like, "Look, we'll do this. You know, it'll be good. It'll be great." I already got this yeah, already he, set up. He had rings of operatives and informants that right. he ke- that he kept happy and he kept fed. Right. And and so like and TCI was one of the very first high tech uh, high high tech firms that were developing things for the military and one of the very first you know companies from air quote silicon valley and and silicon valley uh, the entire reason of the existence of silicon valley is to enhance and develop technology for the military absolutely 100 percent. everything about everything about silicon valley is military industrial complex right it's it's not just yeah yeah there may be a bunch of you know like gray t-shirt wearing douchebags that eat avocado on toast there now but like they're all doing stuff that benefits this complex right and it, well and it always has been and if you look into uh california in general and you go back to uh, laurel canyon you know I mean, this is this is pre-laurel canyon and stuff but uh you know the cia has been based in california deeply embedded in california since its inception That was all I had to say. Oh, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) That was was it. Um, But anyways, well, back to Von Bolschwing there and his his business dealings with TCI. Um, He, where did I put that? 
There it is. Um, I lost my I lost my uh, PDF there for a second. I know you don't lose your page in a real book. Dog by you can't just close the PDF. I know. You know, in a physical book, Johnny. I have the physical book. It's in the other room. Just, oh, other I'm room. just. I know. I'm doing the. I'm doing the thing. I know, but you know, I have. You guys can't do that to me. I'm the guy with the library. So. So speaking of the physical book, the only reason I knew that this book existed was mm-hmm. one of those weird circumstances where, when you're following someone on Twitter, they mm-hmm. decide to share something that is like, "Whoa, that seems really cool." Right. And I was following this account that used to be around. Uh, during 2018 and he called himself snooty bayonet and his <laughs> avi was uh was the the killer from true detective wearing wearing the ski mask uh mm-hmm. doing the the whisper gesture right and uh and like he posted a book list one day and every and every book it? looked huh and this was on it yeah, every book looked cool, but this book stood out. I was reading uh, Raven by one of the survi- uh, it's it's a uh, it's a biography of Jim Jones based on like hundreds of interviews uh, by one of the reporters that was shot on the tarmac in Jonestown in Guyana. Or was he? Or was he? But it it was a fascinating read, and I I read it from cover to cover, and I and. I was like, wow, that book looks really cool. And then when I tried to look it up on Amazon, it was like really, really expensive. <laughs> right. Yes. Yeah. But now you have a paper copy. Well, and I have, thanks to you, Johnny, I have a PDF right now on my computer of it. <laughs> right. So but you it, also even if it. I lose, even if I lose the physical copy, I've got a digital copy. How would too. you lose the physical copy? Like, you have a better chance of you have a better chance of losing the electric one because or electronic one because oops I deleted my hard drive. Uh, all right, that's a fair point. Right, but um, going going back to our our German buddy here, um, von Bolschwing, Bolschwing, but uh, in his first year, I didn't want to do that, but I had to. Uh, he uh, he was appointed president of the firm. Yeah. First year with TCI, right? But you know who you know who uh, the head of the board of directors was, right? John Paul Getty, who was the billionaire who was, well, he um he, he's the guy who's the son of of John Paul Getty Senior, who um was illegally selling oil to Adolf Hitler via Mexico. Oh wow, hmm. interesting, right? So. This guy who was selling oil to Hitler appoints a German spy to the presidency of of, of the company within the first year of this company within the first year. Interesting. And in during, this, firm, dur- during, during his, his tenure, one of the one of the subsidiaries that that was under TCI was also covertly selling illegal arms to the Shah of Iran. Right. Uh, once again, once again, the United States funding both sides of everything. Right. Because they also funded the Ayatollahs. Yes. Yeah. The Shah, they deposed the Shah. Yeah. Mm. Uh, or yeah. Anyway, so, Oh yeah. So you have, um, also with this, this guy, uh, you have, uh, Helene von Dam, who used to work for president Reagan. 
Uh, she was born in Austria, but uh, she was Reagan's deputy assistant. He used to she used to translate contracts for TCI and um, made a shit ton of money with them. But uh, when interviewed about about this guy, like she said, "Oh yeah, I knew him socially." Hmm. Yeah, they, they they all know right. they all know each other. They all know what's going on. Even though they're, they're all lining each other's pockets and they're all patting each other on the back. Right. But he was also uh, at the time um, he was uh, a lot of people were a lot of people were prosecuted, but not von Bolschwing, but from his. Uh, so after Bolschwing assumed control of TCI, a lot of their major stockholders started syndicating their stock and selling it off to small investors. Right. That's eventually turns out that's very illegal. Uh, a lot of people went down except for him, except for von Bolschwing. And this is probably the biggest stock fraud in California history. And then you well, also have, uh, you know, it, by the mid eighties, it was, I'm sure right. there have been since. Right, 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 right. But anyways, so this is, this is all happening in Silicon Valley. I mean, he, he's based out of Sacramento, but now he's in Silicon Valley. So you see the Silicon Valley connection, Sunnyvale. These guys are in Sunnyvale, Google and all these companies are in, are in Sunnyvale, now Cupertino, Sunnyvale right there and on the peninsula. Um, you go to Facebook, you've got, I'm not sure if they're doing a chip company there, um, but all the big ones, all the big ones are there on the peninsula. So, yeah. So, and these are all, okay. So yeah, it was internal imaging systems, um, was the company that, uh, this guy von Bolschwing was running that sent, of course, the Shah of Iran was backed by the CIA because of course, right? Yeah, that's right. They took out the Ayatollah and they put in the Shah. That's right. That's what happened. I mean, he, he really thought that we were going to come in there and, and help them out. Right. But along comes, yeah. Oh. So, I mean, I, you, these guys, these guys use um, CIA money to run it through companies to send guns to people that are later on. We were like, oh my God, he's got guns. We do that shit all the time. Yeah, because we didn't help him out, now we're just stuck with memes uh, showing pictures of Persian women in bad dresses. Mm-hmm. And then pairing it up with uh, whatever Iranian women are today wearing the, the bags over their heads with the eye slits. Right. Well, yep. so we'll speak. Yeah. other than that, we, 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 we don't know much. But um, you know what I do know? I do know that uh, another Nazi that's involved with this, deeply involved with this, is a Lisa Philip Layton. What do, you know yes. about, what do you know about Lisa Philip Layton? Uh, Lisa Philip Layton is a German Nazi who, along with her family, gave the world the atomic bomb, ICBM missiles. Implying. First one. Killer, killer satellite. Implying. The, um, the modern concept of chemical germ and gas warfare and the macabre experiment known as Jonestown. Yes. Jonestown, which was a, an ethnic weaponry test. Basically, that's that. That is definitely what the book purports. It, it they what's well, it purports that it's a de- it was a deeply racist medical experiment performed primarily on blacks and Native Americans. Now this is now this is something that's not just documented here. Um, it, it, other other people have have thought this that the, well they have talked about the CIA's connection to this, but yeah, this is um. Yeah, I don't know how we're gonna get. We'll eventually, we'll eventually get to Jim Jones, but uh, there's a lot 
to this story um, that before we even get to Jim Jones or these people around him and by him and who they were connected to and how these people were connected to the military industrial complex or the intelligence industrial complex. So to use a very terrible music analogy, Jim Jones is like Bruce Springsteen and everybody else is the E Street Band. And sure, people are going to second. hear Bruce Springsteen. Hang on a second. I think 80% of the people who's listening to this have no idea who you're talking about. Right. Well, I mean, you know, I, I said it's not a great analogy. But <laughs> Go ahead. Carry know, on. Carry on. You're right. You did say that. My bad. Go ahead. You know, uh, Bruce, Bruce Springsteen didn't really play a whole lot of the music. But people were going to hear him sing. He had the but Telecaster. The, I mean, he but he had a bunch of very talented people behind him playing the music. There you go. Uh, Jim Jones is an incredible orator and a very very effective agent for the Central Intelligence Agency. But he's just the vocalist. He had a amazing cast behind him to pull everything off that was pulled off. Yes. So Hugo Phillip um, was a banker and a stockbroker who who um, represented companies like Siemens and Halski and eventually IG Farben. Um, he, I guess, he got married had a daughter, and that daughter turned out to be Lisa Philip Layton, who married, um, what was the father's name? Liam Layton? Liam Layton? Let- the dad. Mm-hmm. No, Larry. Hold Larry- on. Larry Sr., right? Well, they were both Larry. Larry right? Sr. Okay, they were both, it was like Lawrence Layton. Yeah, that's his name, Lawrence Layton. Lor- Lor- Lawrence. Right. So... I mean, you want to? I don't want to read all the stuff about this stuff about her family and the Jewish organizations. Everything about you know, this book is pretty anti-Semitic, by the way. I would agree. Um, but in in the same way that Kushner Incorporated was anti-Semitic, do you remember us talking about that a while ago? Long time, a ago, little bit. Where like the person who wrote it is married to a Jewish guy, the woman who wrote it is married to a Jew, and but during during you know reading the book, you get you you absolutely come away with with the fact that the Kushners are extremely Jewish and they're in bed with Shabbat and you know they're bad and blah blah blah, right? So it's anti-Semitic, but unintentionally. This book is anti-Semitic. So in, in the anyway. In contrast to what we were talking about earlier on how some of the Nazis from Project Paperclip made this sort of choice or decision or whatever, um, the Leighton family invented a Jewish, a fake Jewish heritage in order to uh, portray themselves as potential victims of the regime so that they could immigrate over. Right. Um, Apparently, apparently... um they One of her family they, members uh, resigned once Heinrich Himmler outlawed the hiring of non-Aryans in government stuff. So um, he's a relation. So this this is all like uh, the, the Philip family would like to try to expatriate and they couldn't. Right. So was their best chance of being accepted was a two level cover. 
A fake family history was developed to convince U.S. officials that the Phillips were Jewish and would be persecuted in the remaining Germany. And the second, they claimed to be descendants of Jewish shepherds who immigrated from Northern Africa, blah, 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 blah. Um, what was the second part? Well, the, the second part was the second part that if the Jewish part didn't work. Right. There was the claim that the entire family were homosexual. Oh, that's right. The homosexual part. Yes, they're all gay. Yes, that's what it was. There it is. <laughs> I forgot about that. The whole family is gay. Yes. And, and apparently the American bureaucrats were so oblivious to the fact that homosexuality was not a matter of heredity that they didn't that their investigation didn't go any further than that. They they granted them asylum for okay. that. Okay, that I'm pretty sure they just said they're Jewish and they let that fly. Right. But but then they're like, oh shit, you're Jewish and gay? Right. Uh, uh like, okay, um, come over to Staten Island. Let's get y'all let's get right. y'all checked in here. Right, right, right. But uh in in her possession is a, a passport stamped Juden. So like that's it that the passport stamped, buddy. That means she is, right? Mm-hmm. There it is. That's it. Right. And you know, and once once Lisa got to the United States, nobody brought up the Jewish stuff. Like she just pretended, you know, she said like, whatever. She didn't say anything about being Jewish. Uh she eventually worshiped at some the Russell's Congregational Church. Now, Russell is uh, what's that? Who's that guy? Hold on. Oh no, that's Branham. Who's who's Russell? Is the guy who Jim Jones? There's these people. So many names, and I don't remember which guy he's related to. But anyways, he was a he was a preacher that I think had Jim Jones in his church, and that's how the Laytons. That's how Lisa Layton got connected with Jim Jones or whatever. But anyways. Um, nobody had ever mentioned her Judaism until like, uh, Jim Jones actually announced it right in front of everybody that she was Jewish. He had a little nickname for her too, that yes, they called, playfully would call each other. He teased her. Or, about he, she was, that, yeah. Yeah. yeah he, that she would be fine with him calling apparently. Yes. Yeah. Well, I mean, as fine as, you know, talking about. Well, they a, snickered about it, you know. Mm-hmm, their little private little joke that she was a Jewish nigger. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty. Uh, it's pretty pretty wild for a uh, social justice uh, super priest, which well, is basically what he was. Like, I, I can't. Like, I, I find it. I that, find it interesting that that you know was so flippantly thrown around and nobody seemed to bat an eyelash at. Are it. you actually? Are, are you? I, well, it was in private mostly, but. Uh, it was their own little private joke, but do you honestly think that um, that he was really a social justice super priest? I mean, that's the that, that was the, that was how that was the image. Well, that's the image. I mean, you don't you, you don't believe that, obviously. Yeah, but this is a private. You don't believe that he was. And this well, I mean, you know about his his upbringing and stuff, right? Yes, yeah. I a hundred percent believe that Jim Jones was an entirely fabricated mega personality created to perpetrate this experiment i completely like like i i read this book and i walked away with going well that's i feel like that that's what that is (laughs) kind (laughs) of makes a lot of sense 
You know, like some people are like, do you believe all the conspiracy theories that you guys talk about on the show and blah, 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 blah. And I'm we like, don't. We yeah, don't. like I'm, I'm skeptical about a lot of stuff, but mm-hmm. I walk, well, I'm, I'm going to be 100% honest. I walked away after reading this book and I was like, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Okay. Okay, stop. You're giving it away. That's like, <laughs> that's like episode two. But um, yeah, so these people... These people were into, well, she was, excuse me. She was into this, this kind of apostolic church. And then she joined the Quakers, which is an interesting part of the story. I don't necessarily, so this part, some of the part of the stories I don't really buy, but whatever. So she joined the Quakers and ended up, ended up somehow uh, becoming friends with Jim Jones and in Jim's church. And then their family uh, ended up in, in, um, California with them. So so I guess the Phillips helped a bunch of other Nazis escaped escape. So um, yeah, that whole, that whole uh, well-discussed Catholic secret, uh, secret line of escape through Spain yeah. or whatnot. And is Italy. that true? Do you believe that's true? I don't, I, I don't know, man. You know what I mean? Like all, mm-hmm. a lot of it sounds so hokey to me. Right. A lot of it sounds like some, some, um, underground railroad you know black exploitation bullshit meme i but. watched every episode of what what, wait, what was that called with tim kennedy on history channel the hunt for the hunt for hitler hunt for hitler yeah was that was that what it was the called hunt for hitler yeah okay so they they went through they went through the whole uh catholic underground railroad whatever the f they called it thing you know and they 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 fought they they followed it along the different points and everything and there was oh, still just people. hunting hitler it was called hunting hitler okay it was an interesting show and it had the uh had the the black and white picture of like the drawing of hitler with the words across his eyes yes yeah but it was i mean there was some cool stuff that they sure. talked about on I there mean, a lot of, but you got to remember it's history channel so it's like 90% crap sure but like the uh the different bunkers and stuff that they found off of rivers and different things that they found in the middle of the woods, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. the, like the different hiding places and stuff they found in the woods in Argentina and make Patagonia up. and stuff. Right. Uh, it was neat. Sure. Yeah. Neat. But uh, there's no definitive proof that they found anything. No, there's no definitive proof of any of that, uh, no. which is, you know, Again, but if you if you heavily romanticize this period of history, because you you look at this this particular point in history as wow, this is when we were winning for a little period of time, mm-hmm. you know, and, and you've you've heavily romanticized it to to the point of you know sort of like a bizarre obsession with it. Mm-hmm. Um, the idea, the like, the idea that he escaped on a plane and one of the one of the road like one of the roads that they made during the rise of Germany was actually a secret uh air airfield you know like they like they like they stuck them away from the bunker and then put a body double in there you know and they snuck him away and he flew off in a plane then got in a u-boat and then went went to Argentina like like yeah that was like that, a super cool story this is I mean it it's it's really cool, man. 
You know, if 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 you heavily romanticize that particular historical well, segment, right? And a lot of people do still. A lot of people do. I mean, I mean, I mean, I don't blame them. I don't either. You know, like, dude, the uniforms were the uniforms are still fire, bro. You know, like there's nobody has cooler uniforms and has since. There's nothing historical for people to hold on to where it feels like they're, you know, that they're there's some winning going on, you know? Well, yeah, and those guys didn't win. Right, but there was this period where it felt like there was going to be some winning. Felt like. Yeah. Yeah. And how's that going for you? I'm just saying. No, I I know. I'm not trying to black pillar. I'm not trying to be black pilly or anything, but like, you know what I mean, though? I mean, I got like 10 books of like World War II weapons from that, you know, from that army. Oh, yeah, dude. You know. I, I absolutely have. You've seen my shelves. Right. I mean, I thought the. I thought some of the experimental weapons were really freaking cool. <laughs> absolutely, man. Yeah, I'm not mad. I'm not mad at any of the stuff they made. The train gun. The, the train gun is, is one of the coolest things ever made. Literally, the probably the coolest weapon ever made. Can you imagine being the guy that gets to fire the train gun? Like you're that guy, the train gun firing guy, dude. Like there, there can't be like a cooler feeling than being like you. You've got the trigger or the button or whatever it is. Whatever it is, the lever. And you're you're <laughs> you're firing that slug. Right. You're the that, first that guy is, to pull is, the trigger on that thing. What the biggest slug in human history? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's freaking cool. Anyway, where were we? Uh, we were talking about the the Nazis. Oh yeah, and, and the, we're and gonna. You know how bad we're. You know how bad people are gonna be mad at us about this. Well, I haven't said anything bad about them. No, other than the fact that like you have Nazis working with Jews and Nazis going to the CIA and working with you know it's, it's just if they work in america then they're then they're automatically working with jews right right, right. well you don't have a choice like, like, right zog like fdr's administration was full of them we zog. like that's an, that's understood right yes absolutely excuse me so, so i thought you had a little more to say so i took during, a sip if they came over during the remnants of fdr and truman's administration truman 33rd degree freemason the truman show then, yeah then you ever think about that why they called it the truman show is it true man or is it because Truman was 33 degree Mason? Anyways. All right. All right, Matt. I don't know. Anyways, yeah. Right? Joe Rogan. Matt, have you heard that one? <laughs> no. Oh, there's some stupid meme or meme. There's some stupid theory, probably from the Transvestigation 777 female channel, that uh, Joe Rogan is Matt from QOC. No way. That's silly. <clears throat> Very silly. Uh, so Lawrence Layton. Uh, Lawrence Layton was actually born in the United States. It's his wife, Lisa Layton, that is the the immigrant. Lawrence Layton is the immigrant. No, Lawrence Layton was born in West Virginia. Okay, uh, I'm sorry. So who was the immigrant then? Uh, Lisa. Lisa. Philip, who became Lisa Layton. Okay, Lisa Philip married. Okay, Lisa Philip married Lawrence Layton, who was already here. I got you now. Okay, I got it. Lisa Philip was the fake Jew that immigrated and married Larry Layton. Good Lord. Talk about tongue-tying twisters. Right. Okay. 
so um the Phillips made a shit ton of money in art, oh, like a lot of other Jews. Um they somehow ended up with a Steinway piano that was worth thousands back then. It's ridiculous. Um All right, let's skip ahead, skip ahead. I don't want to So where's the where do we where does Lisa Layton come in uh with all the stuff that she was doing? Now, that that see that skips Lisa Layton and Jim Jones, that skips ahead to California, right? Well, yeah, I, I'm getting into a little bit of Lawrence because uh, Lawrence okay. Layton somehow got his entire family involved with the Jonestown medical experiment, right? In which, in which he was one of the, in in which he was one of the conceivers of. Mm-hmm. And right. he was one of the guys so- who put together the the Jonestown experiment. Yep. And so like when he went to when Lawrence went to college, he he moved to Scranton like he went from West Virginia, he moved to Scranton and he worked in the Young People Socialist League, a group of Jewish immigrants, and they elected wow. Lawrence, who is a Gentile, as the president of their organization, which is already super super glowy in 1932. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um that's that's so, very interesting that he <laughs> So it is, it's, hypothes- it, it's hypothesized that he was sent there by the federal government to spy on this organization. And and then that's how he got his bona fides for them to employ him for life. Mm-hmm. Well, right. But. Um... He was he was uh, the only one. He was one of only three in his class of forty to pass the examination for a master's degree in chemistry. Right, he's a chemist, which is he's got a master's in chemistry, and he, well, what did he do with that master's degree in chemistry? Well, he used that he used that master's degree in chemistry to develop chemical weapons for the United States federal government. What? That's crazy. And then he got involved with Jim Jones? Well, all of his family did. Wait, what? Not him, though. <laughs> this is just... No. What? Wait a minute. Wait a second. So, like, they were going to Jim Jones's stuff and be like, all right, Dad, we'll see you later. We're going out to get pizza. Yeah, one at a time, actually. Like, one at a time, like, fe- like the way that it's painted... They fell under Jim Jones's spell. Oh, one in a time. Right. Uh, Lisa started it, right? Yes. Yes. She was the first to fall under his spell, which was like, uh, when was that? When, when did they first? When did oh. they first start? When did they first there, start being under the spell? The, well, to rewind a little bit, there's a funny anecdote that Lawrence had about when he met Lisa. He kept trying to break up with Lisa, uh, Lisa Phillip, but mm-hmm. she kept threatening suicide, and he would be like, oh, okay. Oh, she did the Jewish thing. Oh, God, I'm going to kill myself if we don't get we gotta get married. But there was an anecdote that he, he wrote about her where he said, we would take walks, and I noticed that she would step on the ants. My God, what do you do that for, I asked. She said, it's strange. But in Germany, I learned to hate weak things. I can't help myself. <laughs> that that sounds. She sounds like um, 
who is the one from the Auschwitz, like the the bitch of the of Auschwitz, right? You know what I'm talking about? Right. But it's just like the ghost of Kiev, like the ghost of Kiev. But like, yeah, she's like they're writing her into this in this part of the story. She's like a boogeyman. Like she's a she's evil. She might be. Yeah, she, it's, it's she's one of those. She's one of those evil Nazis. So they they only they only knew each other for six months, mm-hmm. and then they they had kind of like a shotgun wedding. And seven weeks after their wedding, the Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor, and then. They went to World War Two, right? But Lawrence was offered an appointment on the Manhattan Project. He was, yeah. So that's that's where his real his real glowy stuff has started. It, when he joined the project, he was issued a student deferment, so he wasn't drafted. Ah. And he completed his studies at Penn State, and he was offered a full time job working for the Kodak Company. Uh, where he perfected his molecular still technology that utilized thermal diffusion to purify uranium isotopes for the Manhattan Project. Okay, so we're in... Interesting. Well, that's... So he worked for Kodak. Eastman Kodak. Interesting. Yeah. Eastman, Eastman Chemical is still a chemical company right now. Um, <laughs> hell, I'll kill myself is still funny to me. See, and that's what's really messed up is like, doesn't sound like something a Quaker would, would say, you know, like. I, I know, I know, like when people hear Quaker, they just think of the guy on the front of the oats. Right. But apparently they don't all look like that. No, that was just the Quakers in the 1600s, apparently. But um, that guy was made up. He was never even real. Right. None of those people. Oh, you would know Grognak. Yeah. You, Quakers you, are sickos, dude. They're like, they're like, they do like the, you know, they're like swingers. They're gross. Are they? <laughs> Hold on a second. Tell us a little more about, about Quakers, buddy. Well, they used to call them the Friends. Back in like the eighteen, you know, eighteen forty or so. Okay. The, fr- the Friends Society. The Friends had, Society. Oh man. Yes, yes. They got very friendly with each other too. Wow. Apparently. Yeah. I say okay. So her being, see when they when we hear Quaker, we think like puritanical guy on the cover of the Quaker Oats thing, and apparently they all wear like you know knee socks and and knickers, and the girls all wear the hoop skirts and whatnot. But apparently the, the the Quakers, this was like some like polygamous type stuff or just like deviant sexual shit. They're like they're like hippies, dude. I don't OK, know. so the Quakers are like hippies. OK, no. And well, that makes that's fine because that makes sense that she would fall into something hippie ish. I mean, you quote fall into something. Well, I, I always because, thought of, I always saw the Quakers as sort of this like communal like christian socialist sort of like sect am i wrong plus orgies well gross but yeah of course but yeah so basically yeah so you could see yeah, why on, on somebody all their who dating into- profiles they have ethnically non-monogamous yes so basically you can see why somebody who would now i can see why somebody who is a quaker would be into something like socialism communism uh jim jones's cult even 
you know, which was supposed to start off as like a Christian socialist and ended up being anti-Christian at the end. That's all we'll get into that eventually. But, um, yeah. So Lisa Layton, Laura Layton, Lisa, Laura, wait a minute. It's Lisa, right? Lisa, Lisa Layton is Lisa. mom. That's right. Uh, no, it couldn't be, it wouldn't be Laura and Larry and just be too weird. Law and Larry. It's Lisa and Larry. Just it's just as Jewish sounding though, like right, Lisa and Larry. Yeah. yeah. Um. So. So during the war, they were moved to D.C., where yeah. he worked at the University of Maryland. Right. I wasn't okay. Oh. No. Go ahead. No. Go ahead. I was just skipping ahead a little, a uh, little bit with him. Uh, well, the thing about him is that uh, he just seems to again like a lot of these people just seems to fall right into place where you know where these things where he's able to you know his first full-time job um was was with uh was kodak and just fell right into the manhattan project right there in right there in kingsport tennessee oh that's right that's where uh kodak the eastman kodak part of of oh jesus christ of um the manhattan project that's like literally Right around the corner from me, uh, the new yes, he was around in the nuclear when the quote nuclear age was born because he was the guy who purified the uranium. Yep, he was the guy. He was the guy that purified the uranium for the first explosion, earth shattering kaboom. And they but, kept moving him around everywhere they needed him to be. Yep, just just interesting how they just keep falling into place, falling into place. Um. First kid, their first kid is Thomas Nutter, Layton. Nutter. Yeah. That sounds like a Quaker name. I actually don't know. I don't either. <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know. Well, like, they named him after, like, after Lawrence's recently deceased grandfather and uh-huh. had been conceived on the... How do they know? They know exactly what day it was. They, they put it on the calendar. It was conceived on the 80th anniversary of the patriarch's birth. I know I had sex on my grandfather's birthday. How did... Yeah, like I don't know. Wow, Grandpa's dead. Doesn't matter. Had sex. Horny time, right? Remember, no, remember the doesn't matter. Had sex memes from like the early aughts or whatever. No. Oh man, that's Facebook. Anyhow, um, yeah, he was a chemistry professor in uh from there. Like he went, he went from being the guy that purified the uranium. In uh, in the Manhattan Project, to just being a chemistry professor at at uh, University of Maryland, probably nice, comfy, little out of the way, go away, not even go away, but uh, that's where well, hold tight, a little hold tight, yeah, right? a little hold tight, a little hold tight, until yeah. uh, you know they had Larry Junior Lawrencey or Larry, he was unwanted. Why would you name the kid after you and then he was the unwanted kid, poor kid? Um, I mean. I always thought it was interesting that Larry as a nickname comes from Lawrence. Why? Why? Just Lawrence, a, Lawrence, I mean, Lawrence, I Larry. Know. I can I, see I how it kind of flows. Yeah. yeah. I mean, everybody, you know, John, Johnny, Jim, Jimmy, right? Tom, Tommy, yeah. yeah. Lawrence, Larry. I guess I can kind of, it kind of, kind of goes. I never, anyway. I never understood how they got Dick from Richard. Um, I don't either. I have yeah. no idea. I have absolutely no idea. But anyway, I mean, other ones make sense, like right. Rob, you know, like Rob, Bob, Robbie, Bob from Robert, right? You know, 
Bob from Robert, uh, I guess. Don from Donald. Sure. You know, Doug from Douglas. Sure. But, but Richard Dick. Like Richie makes sense, but but Dick? Richard, Ricky. Well, what about Ricky? The, the word the word dick actually means fat. So Well, thanks. So, <laughs> so the word Richard is a uh, the name Richard actually means like strong and rule. So maybe that's why. I don't know. Huh. I don't right. know. Well, because well, I had thought about that one, too, because it makes no sense. Yeah. Hmm. And if your last name was Trickle, why would you name your kid Dick? Fantastic driver. <laughs> right. Exactly. Fantastic driver, but like worst name in driving. I mean, he. Dick Trickle. His name's not Richard. He never did win, but he never did come in last. That was Larry. Jerry, sorry, not, <laughs> that was Jerry, not Larry. <laughs> Wait, what's Jerry? Sh- what's Jerry short for? Is that Gerald? Gerald. Oh, uh, that makes sense. Yeah, my buddy Jerry Are- is Gerald. All right, I have another buddy uh, named Jerry who's just Jerry, spelled with a J. Anyway, um, getting back to uh, who we're talking about, Lawrence Layton. Um, he was, he was, uh, Larry Layton. He was the, the last kid, but, uh, he's the one, he's the one that the only person that actually tried in the courts for the murder of Congressman Leo Ryan, which we'll get to eventually. But, um, he was the youngest of the Layton's kids and he was tied up with Jim Jones. So like yes. the entire family ended up tied he- up with Jim Jones. He was one of the right hand one of the one of the right hand guys. Right, he was one he of the go to guys. He was the guy, right? He was Jim Jones's guy. He was his, his number one, number two, whatever you want to call him. So he was the guy that, in the official narrative of the Jonestown, uh, the Jonestown event, he was the guy that after the reporters started taking away the defectors and everything. That he was one of the like stragglers that's like, oh, I want to go too. And everybody, everybody else on the truck was like, there's no way this guy really wants to leave. Yeah. His, he's everybody that actually wanted to go was like, why is Larry coming? They're like, Larry's, yeah, and, Larry's and Jim had, Jones's buddy. Like, right. And he had a 38 <laughs> special with him the whole on, on him the whole time. And he's the one that went after the, the, uh, I, the congressman. I, well, I don't think he went after the congressman. I think he was supposed to be because he didn't. He didn't actually. I don't think it ended up that he actually shot anybody because uh, he. Well, yeah, he hit a revolver and he shot one person in the leg. I believe he ended up shooting. It was in. It, they were in the airplane, or they were still in the bus. I, I don't remember. I was. I listened to that um, for the survivors and. Uh, what was his name? The Asian guy that did a lot of. Did you hear that? They had the yeah. They had the Jackie Chan voice guy to come out and talk about hi yeah. He, I, I put my face down to a ground and kiss a four. Like okay, so, that's, that's nice. So it turns out that thirty eight special is not really very accurate. No, and, you have to be I, like I very close very, range. I thought it was a very interesting choice because a lot of the assassinations and 
air quote people that were killed by serial killers mm-hmm. a lot of them died by 38 special slug to the back of the head mm. so well 38 38 special is extremely accurate up very close yeah <laughs> but like 10 12 feet away maybe not uh anyway getting I, i'm back not to, feel very comfortable about it <laughs> right getting back yeah getting back to dr layton he was part of um a lot of the uh, United United States Army's Chemical Warfare Division at the Dugway Proving Grounds. That was the dad. Um, they basically killed a bunch of animals, tested on you know all kinds of chemical monitoring devices and stuff on farm animals, and basically just killed thousands and thousands of animals. And there's buried in mass graves out there. Um, and I guess he developed a technique that uh, would evaluate the extent to which an animal had been, been killed. So, like, you know, um, apparently the Princess Bride, is it, the line is true. Oh, look who knows so much. Right? There's mostly dead, and then there's all dead. But uh, I, I, the, I, dead was like not sufficient. Excerpt. He needed to know how dead. I like the excerpt uh, that he would later write. Uh, you can blow people to bits with bombs. It's almost like a poem. You could blow people to bits with bombs. You could shoot them with shells. You can atomize them with atomic bombs. That's considered moral. But the same people think there's something terrible about poisoning the air and letting people breathe it. Anything having to do with gas warfare, chemical warfare, has this taint of horror on it. Even if you only only make people vomit. (laughs) This this is where it stops becoming poetry. (laughs) It's all right to kill somebody in war, but it's not all right to make him vomit or make him silly. Right. Well, you got to get in the silly, Actually, the silly, the silly spray. <laughs> that's hey, listen. He was just trying to make stuff to make you. Silly. Now listen to this. It's actually the one of the most humane types of warfare. If you want to compare it to other types, I'm not apologizing for chemical warfare. I'm just saying. Listen, I'm not apologizing, but I'm just saying it works. Uh, uh, that the prejudice against chemical weapons in favor of con- conventional weapons and atomic weapons is absurd. He has a point there, though. There is there is no difference in killing somebody with gas than there is with um, than there is with a bullet, and this is something that the Jews have somehow turned into a major thing. Oh God, the gas! Oh God, Assad is gassing his people! Oh Hitler used the gas! Oh the gas! Oh the gas! Right? Oh God, I got gas! But I think Do you? The, no, I was just continuing. Oh, but, but anyways, right. There's something to do with gas, and gas is chemical warfare, and chemical warfare has been deemed to be less humane than, you know, firebombs or uh, apparently depleted uranium rounds or uh, even, you know, implying but nukes, right? That's Nukes are more humane. Moabs are more humane. Um, 50 cal bullets are more humane than chemical weapons. I, I see where he's coming from, that there shouldn't be excuse me, there shouldn't be a difference, right? Um, right, well, here's, here's the thing. Dr. Layton's defense of chemical warfare was itself absurd, as the intention is not to make people vomit or silly, but to kill them. Not necessarily true. See, this is where the, the, the book is misleading, because the CIA did do a lot of things which would be considered chemical warfare, which were not meant to kill, but to test different means of chemical control, different means of... Uh, chemical mass psychosis, that kind of stuff. So, uh, you know, not, not exactly there, Mr. Meyer. But um, let's take a break. 
Alrighty. You picked out a good one, a banger this week. I actually like this is Swarm Intelligence. Um, and this is a good one. Which one is this again? Crawl Space. Yeah. This is cool. All right. We're going to listen to this and we'll be back.
We're back. This is still the Paranormies. We're still talking about, well, we'll get to it, but Jim Jones. We're talking mostly about the CIA and the supporting cast of what eventually became the Jonestown Massacre, air quotes. Me and Dogbot and Grognak, we're still here. We're still... Uh, we're still going over family members. There's a lot of there's a lot of family members that were involved in this at high levels. There, well, real quick, I I I, I forgot about one part with Doctor Layton on page fifty two. Oh. Uh-huh. Uh huh. It said it says in the book that due to all the the race riots and everything, that they really really like. That the federal government was really reaching out to Dr. Layton to try to find a way of subduing rioters. Oh, that's right. Well, that's what he was doing <laughs> when he was uh when he was doing all those experiments in Utah. Is he was he was working on making um chemical like forms of chemical control of of animals, but to eventually apparently work on humans. <laughs> which, you know, which the government was like, well, we got these problems with these blacks. You can take your cattle repellent and turn it into like a black control. <laughs> yeah. I mean, pretty, pretty, I mean, that's the TLDR, right? I, I mean, if if it's just going to make them silly, you know, or, or, or vomit or vomit. Yeah, it's just vomiting. Just vomiting. Yeah. A little silliness. Who doesn't like silly? So you you know how one of our phrases on the paranormies is there's no such thing as coincidences, right? Well, apparently, uh, Doctor Layton was reading Esquire magazine, and there was a Shut January up. 1962 Shut issue up. entitled Nine Places to Hide." And <laughs> hold on a second, hold on a second. Oh, Esquire magazine. Never mind. For some reason, I thought he was reading a black magazine. I'm I'm laughing at a joke that didn't exist. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Carry on. Well, in, in that issue of Nine Places to Hide, um, one of those places was Ukiah, California. Strangely enough, on the other side of the continent in Indianapolis, Jim Jones was also reading that issue of Esquire magazine, Nine Places to Hide. And also came to the conclusion, Ukiah, California. Right. But- and this was really important because this was all around the Cuban Missile Crisis mm-hmm. and and everybody's freaking out that they're going to get bombed in a nuclear war. But don't forget, before before Jim Jones was in went to Ukiah, you know, he, he took a, a detour. He went to Ukiah via Belo Horizonte, Brazil. Uh, he took his family down to Brazil for, I don't know, it doesn't say how long, but he was down there. For a minute, well, he was he, he was doing missionary work, right, 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 right. That's Mi- the official air, air narrative. Force, missionary work. But then, then when he came back to the U.S., he moved the congregation to Ukiah. Now that was after when we get to Jim Jones's. We're going to do a little bit of forward and back. You have to, you have like, to. It, all this stuff well, is so interwoven. Yeah, I'm trying to think of because Jim Jones going to Ukiah, we're we're skipping his entire his like his upbringing and his. Um, all, all the church stuff in his in his background. So we'll get to that too. Because there's CIA involvement in that as well. The Laytons, the Laytons, uh, they moved to Berkeley first. 
and then they went they were and then they went from I'm sorry from Berkeley to uh Eureka Eureka California right but but hold on hold on hold on she somehow okay so Lisa somehow managed to uh to get a job with uh where was this at the library of the University of Berkeley where she was in placed in charge of the radical leftist and third world newspapers and periodicals wow what a what a coincidence because you know in the 1960s you see Berkeley was literally the epicenter of revolutionary activity in the United States literally i've stood in the free speech hole uh, the place where the, you where you can stand and you know and and say whatever you want and not get persecuted for it unless your name is you know Johnny Monoxide or Richard Spencer because that was back when Richard Spencer was okay uh, oh, I, I thought they I thought they caved in the free speech hole. No, they did not prolapse the free speech hole. No, it's, it's part of no, it's part it's part of Berkeley. It's part like they would have to actually take uh, demolition equipment to it. It's unless uh, unless they did. I don't know. Actually, Grognak, look that up. I was going to say, I bet it's slippery and covered in sores. Uh, never mind. Yeah, no, but yeah, Grognak, look up if they destroyed that. But anyways, if they destroyed what? The the free speech hole on Berkeley campus, UC Berkeley's campus. Okay, so UC Berkeley was the place where Ronald Reagan eventually had to release the hounds and turn the fire hoses on, you know, the civil rights activists. And Lisa's job was to uh oh, to discern the published information and pass anything she considered important on to the Central Intelligence Agency. Lisa was an agent. So basically, she's just like the ombudsman for agent-produced publications. Propaganda and publications, <laughs> yeah. Just, yeah, and just mm-hmm. and sending, sending back... Yeah, sitting back. How, stuff that, how bad, stuff that how she's bad like, this are. is good. Well, no, this is where, like, when we talk about the CIA started this, the CIA started that, the CIA did this, the CIA did that. Well, this is how they did it. Like, you know, the CIA plants people in these movements, like in the punk movement. I'm 100% positive that Henry Rollins was a CIA plant. You know, when the CIA, when they say the CIA created the punk scene, this is what I mean. Like, same thing with this. They have, they have a CIA agent who's somebody's wife who uh the wife of a uh the you know some director of the United States Army's chemical weapons development teams you know all over the country many many times so she just happens to you know because because she can quote pass a clearance background she gets into uh UC Berkeley's library where she, like you said she's the ombudsman for all these radical uh periodicals and whatever and which are, are being written by the agency that she's reporting to well well not necessarily not oh, it could be written by the FBI no 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 because in Berkeley this is where all the freaks would go and do all their stuff standing on a soapbox and screech and stuff and this is where the FBI and the CIA would get their it, they would get it, their leads it looks like it's still going Johnny it's still going. Okay, cool. Um, so has it totally collapsed? So that has yes. The free speech hole oh, is not. Well, it's, it's all it's all about freaking out about people uh, pointing on Zionism right now. Yeah. So. Uh, so okay, so it's become the free speech blue waffle. It's, it's, uh, stop, yeah. stop. Yes, but yes, sure. Um, <laughs> he's just trying to be gross right now. Uh, 
what they what they would do is you would have your you know your guys standing on soapboxes yelling about the government or whatever and and bringing their periodicals there and the CIA would then take them or the FBI would those take those the, those leads from those people and they would find their known wolves they would find their their cults in which to infiltrate which would be probably all of them they would find their cults in which to uh in which to fund and whatever that's how that's how the FBI and the CIA would develop you know, relation, they would find, you know, she would be like, okay, this is a good one. Pass this one on. This one's stupid and garbage. They, you know, they still do that with coast to coast. Probably. Sure. Absolutely. That's probably what they do. Well, coast to coast is probably all paid chills at this point. I don't think the any, guy from coast to anybody, coast and some other guy, George, uh, George Nori. Yeah. They keep advertising some podcast, uh, that's out. Like it's called, Oh man, it has like a really terrible name, like a military sounding name. Oh, but yeah, like it's, it? a, it's a really bad, it's, what is that? it's a really bad commercial that they keep bearing for it. Okay. Sorry. Um, but like, I, I don't think George Norrie's on coast to coast anymore. Oh, he's not. No, he, he is. Oh, okay. He's just not the main guy. They have like three hosts now. Oh, okay. So anyway, so back to, back to 19, the early 1960s. So the CIA, um, was basically, getting their information from Berkeley campus, which was rife with these Jewish, you know, socialist communist leftists. You'll find that a lot of this stuff is socialism and communism. Um, and this is right after McCarthy and McCarthyism. So, uh, communism was a very, very serious issue at the time. Um, so what's funny, uh, she would send yeah, these, you know, they would, she would send these publications that were basically a protest against the CIA to the CIA, but also, you know, it gave the CIA lists, right? Lists of radicals, people who, people who bought people on the, on the mailing list. Right. So, um, in in the middle of the, so the early sixties, the blacks were demonstrating and rioting. And so that's when they decided to, uh, decided to, to ask Dr. Layton, about this because the CIA had already tried developing ethnic behavior modification drugs in their MK Ultra project, but um, nothing was ever tested. So they're like, hey, I got an idea. Let's get Dr. Layton to, to do this, right? Just like, what a coinkydink, man. Dude, I remember the name of that stupid thing. It's called Weaponized. What? Isn't that a terrible name? Weaponized? Yeah. For, for a podcast about UFOs and secret stuff. Oh, it's called Weaponized? Oh, that's the yeah. name of the podcast? Yeah. Oh. Okay, I'm so... Sorry. It's the way that they advertise it. Like, when they say the name of the show, they put digital delay on it, so it's weaponized, like... Weaponized. Weaponized. Nice, 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 nice. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay, <Sorry>. so... <laughs> so this is the deal. Um, so Dr. Layton basically was tasked with testing these mind-altering drugs... Uh, to alter the behavior of blacks and Native Americans, blacks and Indians. So well, we already have alcohol, <laughs> alcohol and weed. You know? Yeah, yeah. But uh, they, they, well, they, that's what they ended up settling on. <laughs> Eventually, they're like, well, yeah, they're if, like, if it ain't broke, cheapest. don't fix it. Yeah. Anyway, um, I, so not very many people were in the CIA were really privy to this experiment, right? And it was like super high security levels. So, um, so. The deal with 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 high security level stuff in 
in agencies, and you'll find this in other cults as well, is that when one person is an agent, usually the entire family is agents. Well, it's easier for them to deal with entire families instead of single agents from a family who right. has to keep the entire thing secret from right, their which family. Is, right, which is why they it's, made it's, the movie True Lies to make you know to make the joke about it. It's easier to control. Mm-hmm. It's much easier to control a, a family that is spies to get that. Like the Mr. and Mrs. You know, again in the movies, Mr. and Mrs. Smith. Uh, there, or you have. Um, what was the other one? In the Sopranos, you had Sopranos. You had uh, what the, the the chick Adriana. She got taken in. Uh, she fell for a fed op, which was a husband and wife, and they had a kid, and they used their kid in the op too. So, huh. I, yeah, I mean that's like you know most most of these people that are involved. And that's with, what Spy Kids is about. Pretty much, the kids were spies. Yeah, I mean this is all this is all stuff that actually happens. So, like, let's just say for example, if you're involved in like some sort of a thing that turns out to be a fed op, and there's like husbands and wives involved, well, of course, if the guys are, are glow ops, then the the wives are likely either in on it or you know they're they're part of it, or they're definitely aware. Let's just put it that way. You know, people are aware. Anyway, um, so Doctor Layton, so because and again, it's mostly for security reasons because it's easier to give a family a security clearance and to give one person in a family security clearance and the rest of the family doesn't have any security clearance. And what if they leave a fucking post-it note in their pocket and they're doing laundry? Anyway, um. So they just figured it'd be better to have Dr. Layton and the wife and the kids administer the 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 project, but he wasn't involved with it. So the wife and kids were, were going to be the ones who administer the project with help, with the help of a figurehead scapegoat named Jim Jones. Dr. Layton hadn't even heard of this dude, like had no idea who Jim Jones was until uh, the CIA introduced him to him. They were like, hey, guy, this is uh, our... Are one of our MK Ultra experts in the behavior modification of blacks. What a surprise! Right, and he what had a, a perfect cover. He had a perfect cover being an ordained minister and a missionary. Yep, being an ordained minister and a missionary in the apostolic uh, kind of um, not yeah the revival style yeah, re- church. Well, he's you know, right. The revival style churches and Pentecostal. Re- yeah, the Pentecostal revivalists with the running up and down the aisles and the hooting and hollering, and especially the black churches and the fake healing. And the fake. He- there's a lot we'll of get in, we'll, lot get of that, we'll get into that. We'll get into that. A lot of Benny Hinn type stuff. Um, he was pre Ben. He was Benny Hinn before Benny Hinn was even a had ever thought about grifting off of old people. Um, this this was like again. Now you have you'll have an agent. Who uses the people who uses people and grifts off of them, right? So he's part of an op who's getting paid by the op, but then like as an additional source of like gravy or whatever, they're like grifting off of their their cultists, right? Right. Many such cases. And he's extremely charismatic, which is something that a lot of modern cults seem to lack. Oh, absolutely. They they start a lot of modern cults will start off charismatic. You know, carrot and stick. The, the the but but there's more stick and less carrot. You know, recently. Anyways, yeah, and and again, the the personality. I mean, Jim Jones was a, a very charismatic person, um, which is kind of weird considering the the upbringing, the background that he comes from. That he was that he was so charismatic. You know, 
Yeah, uh, it's he's crypto Jewish. Yes, because from his mom's side. Yeah, Jim Jones is a Jew. Uh, absolutely, as is he's crypto Jewish. Um, his mom is uh, she's how how Jewish? She's an air quotes Irish immigrant, just like right. uh, Obama's mother was air quotes Irish. Right, right, right. His mother was a Putnam. Jim Jones's mother was a Putnam, which goes all the way back to Salem. These are his family is again. These people aren't just some yahoos from Indiana that like or whatever. You know what I mean? Like whenever there's a person in these stories, and you find out, you go back and you look at their early life, or you, you just research their history, you find out that these people are related to all these massively powerful Jewish families. You know. Yeah, it, I mean, it, coming from the Putnam family, one of uh, one of the original Mayflower uh, family. Hey, yeah, well, also one of the original hoaxes in American history, the witch trials of Salem. Yes, we actually did an episode with Patty Tarleton on that. A really good episode back in like season two, three. Really good. So it's just it's kind of strange that his genealogy can be traced back to that, but his dad was also the air quotes. Um, enforcer like the K- local kkk enforcer to make sure that the blacks weren't in town uh whenever right the which gave went down. which game gave jim jones his air quotes background and anti-racism yeah or as the author as the author of the medical experiment book implies being an outright racist that all of all of like all oh, of dad, Jim yeah. Jones's anti-racism was to completely disguise his actual super racism. Oh, he was completely racist, right? Because he wanted to murder all the blacks, right? That was his. He was. I don't know. I don't. I didn't. I don't get that. But anyways. Um, what? Well, I mean, you know, his nickname for his best friend. <laughs> go back to the nickname i wasn't his best friend well one of his was, i mean was, lisa lisa layton was one of his closest uh confidants sure uh, yeah i guess yeah he called her a jewish nigger i mean whatever because <laughs> you know it's just playful nickname it's a playful nickname you know there's shorty over in the corner there's jewish nigger over there hey. oh there's my little dude no i don't think so <laughs> Okay. Well, you I'm know, just... Jim Jones said it. You know, Jim Jones said it with a little bit of black. He put a little black and put some seasoning on it. Yeah, yeah. He put, he put some hot sauce on it. He put some seasoning on it. <laughs> he took that bottle of hot sauce out of his out of his jacket pocket, put it mm, right on there. Mm. <laughs> Anyways, anyway, so Jim Jones's parents are. Uh, yeah, the dad was the dad was the Klansman. Right, of course he was. You know, this is my, uh, another Intel front, uh, another fear manufacturing organization. Um, it's interesting, but uh, apparently, uh, Jim Jones was into communism in the twenty in his early twenties. Um, so, you know, they 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 like to say that Jim Jones read all of these, uh, you know, Marx and Lenin and all these communists and whatever. Um, because you know he wanted to, because he wanted to be a communist. Well, no, he was just reading all these these uh, fakers, basically. Well, uh, part of part of his part of his game, part of the thing that made him 
what he is. You know, part of the ad- additive to the charisma was he did a lot of personal research in other figureheads. Mm-hmm. You know, and he's he's like, I, I'm looking for things. I'm looking for. I'm looking for inspiration to draw from this and this and this to add to his shtick. Right. And it worked, you know, like, and he, he was an effective orator. Sure. But he also had, he had to have connections. You know what I mean? Yes. There's, there's no way he didn't have connections because I mean, he comes from a very poor, you know, the family's quote poor, and his dad was a drunk and the mom had to work and um you know and i was listening to um one of the podcasts on jim jones's background and um the people who knew him as a kid you know jimmy we knew jimmy we knew jimmy as a kid we knew jimmy and they they didn't sound like i mean again that's it reminded me a lot of um the ted kaczynski uh documentary we watched the four-parter right and right just just the stories of his past just sound so forced and fake and contrived uh that you know he was just he was just a poor kid and he's we would go and play with him my brothers the one girl because it's always a girl my brothers would go play with jimmy and they would always come home and tell me stories about she would tell this now she's telling the story third hand right about the story that her brother told her how jimmy would have funerals for these small dead animals that he would find in his barn or whatever. And sometimes he would even kill the animal first and then have the funeral for it. Like he killed a cat and then held a funeral for it. Wow. So dark. Right. So there you have, you know, you already have the makings of a psychopath, right? Yeah. I mean, uh, on top of that, you know, he was having, you know, the fact that he was having funerals for dead animals in the neighborhood, you know, he was holding sermons and everything. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that's part of also part of the mystique that's been created by the FBI later on that one of the first signs of a serial killer is the fact that they kill animals. Torture animals, kill and torture animals. Yeah. Right, exactly. And, and so, like, we have no way of verifying any of that. They're in be- right, but they're in beforeing and they're, they're in beforeing their own... You know, they, that way they are, are, excuse me, retconning their own thing there. Because but, the official narrative is, is he killed all the people in Guyana. Right. He killed the people in Guyana by giving them the, the Kool-Aid. But he was really just the conductor for this, for this experiment. Right. And that's the thing is the experiment was, um, the, you know... Would the people actually take the beverage and was it real or not? Like there was a couple, I mean, even um, listening to the survivors tales and whatever, they were talking about how he would like do test runs with the, with the Kool-Aid, right? Well, that that's, that's a very, that's a very potent and popular story is that is, is that he did one in California where he had a bunch of, he handed out a bunch of, um, like uh what are they uh dixie were, cups yeah dixie cups full of full of juice right everybody drank it and then he's like hey, you all just drank poison Y'all it's gonna, gonna be all right you know like and die together and, uh, right, yeah. yeah 
and so and 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 everybody freaked out and, and apparently it was some kind of loyalty shit test that he was running to see who would freak out about it yeah like, not not here's the poison everybody drink it's here's something to drink everybody drink it oh by the way you just drank poison now right. if you don't freak out you're loyal to me like what the f- what that is some literal mk ultra type the same stuff they did in the harvard experiment with with um gifted with the uh, gifted college students they're doing to blacks in mostly blacks in san francisco but now remember he's doing this well before that he was doing all of this this weird christian revival stuff um in the 19 in the 1960s dude i think he started in the fi- late 50s okay man. yeah well Right, but here's the thing. Like right off the bat, the civic leaders in in Indianapolis and in, uh, in Indiana loved him. So that's how that's how you know how oh, he's he's fake and gay. So uh, the mayor Charles Boswell of Indiana in 1960 appointed Jones to be the director of the Human Rights Commission. Oh wow! Well, Human Rights Commission is always you know just been a bullshit thing since the beginning. But uh, remember, Jones got the Martin Luther King Humanitarian Award in 1977. Just a couple months before, uh, before the quote mass suicide, he was actually given to it, but given the award by somebody I've actually met, Reverend Cecil Williams. Um, he, yeah, he's the guy. The picture in the beginning, in the beginning of this thing, the the black dude with the fro. That's Reverend Cecil Williams. That is right outside of Glide Memorial Church, which is a church I actually did the fire alarm. It's, a, it's not just a church. It's like a medical facility and slash like soup kitchen or whatever. But I actually put in a new fire alarm system in that building huh? when I was in San Francisco. Kind of cool. But um, yeah, Cecil uh, is still around and is still uh, running, you know, this 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 church that Jim Jones actually spoke at. Hung out with and was given was given the um the award by by Cecil Williams. Um yeah, so Cecil Williams was Yeah, he's the he's the guy. Okay, so he's the guy who took the the cross off uh off the sanctuary in his own church. Cause the the church because the cross was a symbol of death. Right. He inspired uh Barry Barry Satoro, yes, to do this to do the same thing early on in his first presidential term when he went to visit Georgetown. Yes, yes. Uh, that part of part of his reasoning had something to do with the, you know, like hearkening back to Reverend Cecil, Cecil Williams did it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, e- even though everybody else was pointing out, hey, I don't think this guy's a Christian. He's having them take down the crosses when he does speeches at at, at universities. Right, right. And when countered with that, I he I think he said something to the effect of well, Cecil Williams did it, yeah. Oh, Cecil Williams. And everybody yeah. loves Cecil Williams because he's the black, you know, he's another black. He's the he's the the left coast, you know, Jesse Jackson. So, anyways, um, Jim Jones was part of the CIA's Operation Chaos. Yes. Which is um, a part of the MK Ultra? Is it underneath? It's under the MK Ultra umbrella, Operation Chaos. Right. It, like at this point, we're using MK Ultra the same way some of those people use Tartaria. No, yeah, that's a good one. 
You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. it's it's just like it's an umbrella for all the psychological operations that were run by the federal government on its own population. Well, yeah, by I don't know if it was the federal. It was a lot of yeah. Anyways, semantics. But yes, um, Operation Chaos in the sixties. Um, people were starting to preach about the upcoming apocalypse, right? Yes. And a lot of people were doing it and it was freaking people out. And that's when people were doing like uh, the, the nuke thing was ramping up again. Right. Cause that was, that was uh, the Cuban missile crisis and Russians had nukes and blah, 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 blah. So they used that as a pretext, the apocalypse thing. And he used, that's when he was like, Oh, Hey, let's go to California. And uh, they moved from Indianapolis to San Francisco uh, he took his his um, his people's temple. You know, the people's temple was originally um, originally in Indiana, but he moved to Ukiah first. Yeah, outside of Eugene, which right. was one of the nine places in the Esquire magazine article. Yes, because because a lot of people make very sound decisions after they read an article out of a magazine. You know, like I'm supposed to believe that the two, the two guys from uh, the Curse of Oak Island, uh, one of the brothers who made millions of dollars in the fracking industry because his brother read a Reader's Digest article about the treasure in Oak Island, has decided to give up his entire fortune, digging a hole in an isle, a freezing island in Canada. Yeah, I don't believe that either. Yeah, which is completely surrounded by Freemasonic garbage well we'll get to the, just a second hang on hang on to your hang hang on to your mason apron but uh so they're up in ukiah and they had like and the people that moved from indiana had never heard of cal like they they'd heard of california right they had seen it on tv maybe they'd never been there most people and then when you get to ukiah it's beautiful up in northern california up there you know it hadn't been polluted by mexican cartels growing weed um and anything else, but it was beautiful up there. And these people, it was like moving into Eden for them. You know, there were goats and chickens and farming. And there was, you know, they'd already, I guess, I guess um, Jim Jones had already had some stuff set up out there. And I guess that's when the Leightons came on board too. But eventually from there, um, for some reason, they decided to move the seat of power into. Uh, into San Francisco and into Los Angeles as well. Uh, it was there were permanent re, uh, facilities established in both cities in 1971 and 1972. In San Francisco, at 1859 Geary Boulevard, you're not going to believe this, but it was a uh, the temple was in a Scottish Rite, former Scottish Rite temple. Yeah, what are the odds of that? Well, it gets even gets even better. I mean, there must be a lot of them. Right. I mean, no, no, in, in San Francisco. Oh. oh, so I guess, I guess the odds are pretty bad. That's yeah, weird. The odds are pretty bad, and the, the building in San Francisco Just, has uh, the stairs that go up to the um, they go up to the first floor. They have the four steps that go up to the first floor, and it has building it has windows that are underground too. Most of San Francisco is a completely mud flooded city. So. As well, evidenced by the, the large uh, panoramic photograph. 
Well, as evidenced by that and the amount of buildings that have windows halfway on underground and doors that are the first floor that you have to go up eight steps to get to the first floor. Who knew, who knew we could tie Jonestown to the mud flood? I mean, it's the paranormies, bro. Where have you been? It's pretty cool. Where have you been? Anyways, um, yeah, so in 1972, the Redwood Valley was the uh, considered the mother church uh, of, of the pol- statewide political movement. Um, so Los Angeles' primary... Um, primary purpose uh was to recruit members and um basically serve as like a way station for the temple's weekly bus trip across california they would basically do like mission trips across california right and they they would go around and recruit they go to churches and jim jones would speak in the church and they would do healing and this is where this is where um the church stuff gets in where his where his pentecostal apostolic background comes into where his, his cia mind control Type stuff, and it, and he brings in the charlatans and the fake, the 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 fake heals. He starts doing the Benny Hinn stuff, where you know he heals a blind woman, and he gets another woman to to get out of her of her um her wheelchair to walk. You know, well, are we are we skipping ahead? Do we miss? Do we miss some stuff? I feel like we're this is episode two stuff. I don't know. Yeah, we're 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 skipping ahead a bit, uh, okay. like. Well, uh, I mean, you got to yeah. understand that this this um this church was an organization. It wasn't just a church, you know. Um, there was, I mean, it had its own complex leadership structure. Uh, so, kind of, um, I mean, kind of people were kind of in charge of things. Other people were in, like secretly in charge of them. There was like a lot of the mind control and behavior modification techniques which were borrowed heavily from post-revolutionary China and North Korea. Um, again, these are all MK Ultra, you know, blanket term, but mind control um, programming and different techniques used on them. Um, there were, you know, they had, um, you know, using cult terminology, they had enemies and traitors to the temple, right? So, and there was a lot of secrecy and a lot of caution that Jones demanded of people, which, and, and especially in recruiting, but um, it was good because you know it would foster that hero worship that you need for a cult. You have to have, you know, you have to have the guy, right? You have to have the, the guy who's in charge, the chairman or whatever, you know, per se, uh, who's in charge of the cult, who has to have that cult of personality, right? You have to, yeah, you I, have to well, vet. You have to go through vetting. Right before these people can let you hang out with them at their limited hangout. Well, typically, typically, uh, cult leaders have actual charisma. Well, yeah. come to find out, come to find out that a, a lot of the cult leaders that quote have charisma really don't. Uh, one of the things about this organization, which is very strange, is Doctor Layton. Every single one of his offspring and his wife found themselves very high up in this organization yes. very quickly that like you would think that some of the people, some of the people brought over from Indianapolis would hold these longtime positions, but it, it just, it, it wasn't the case. No, it just went to the Latins and that's just more evidence that these people were CIA working together. Right. Like, my um, opinion anyway, like, like Larry Layton, mm-hmm. Larry uh, senior, or Larry junior, 
Well, Lawrence. We'll uh, call Larry, Lawrence in there. We'll call Jr. Lawrence and Larry. Okay, Larry's the kid. Yeah, Larry's the kid. Larry Larry was the the unloved kid. Yes. Just like you know. just like Jim Jones, unloved. That's why yeah. that was one of the things. That's that's why they identified so well together because Jim Jones was unloved as a kid. Nobody loved him. He was the outcast, right? That's you know, the story anyway. They they both they both followed Jim Jones uh to Ukiah. Yeah, they they I think they sold their I think they I think they sold their possessions and moved out there. Who yeah. the the Laytons? Larry. Well, Larry oh, they, and Larry and his wife Carolyn. I th- weren't they already in California though? Wasn't they already up in Ukiah and all that? Well, t- no, they were already in California, but they they oh, okay they, so fell, they, they sold fell their in house love with the they fell in love with the church. Okay, so they got right. So they're like wherever their house was. I believe they were they were living in Berkeley or whatever. Yeah, Larry was the president of of the young Democrats and he was the editor of a newspaper called the liberal. Oh, Jesus. So they, they, they found, you know, they, they found the, uh, they found the message of the church very appealing. Mm. And so Larry avoided military service with Jim Jones's help. Oh, you know, so like, he, he, you know, he had been not, he had been denied appeals before that as a conscientious objector, but uh, but Jim Jones basically wrote a letter that convinced them that it would be a bad idea to draft him. Well, there you go, uh, which is very convenient, mm-hmm. and and that's how uh, you know apparently according to the official narrative that that's how basically Jim Jones had his grip on Larry. And that's mm. why Larry would do anything, even assassinate a U.S. congressman. Right, because Larry just, Larry just got him out of the draft. Of, yeah, just at the behest of Jim Jones. Because Larry got him out of the draft. Or because Jim got him out of the draft. Yeah. Oh, he went to Berkeley High. Okay, Larry went to Berkeley High, which is right, right around the corner from my old apartment. Um. Yeah, so he's yeah, they're from Berkeley. So whatever they did, he, he went from Berkeley up to Ukiah. So... It's just, I mean, it's just very convenient. Yeah, very convenient. <laughs> you know, I mean. Okay, so he, he performed alternative service. Oh, wow. So instead of going instead of going to, uh, to the draft to go to Vietnam, he went to work at the Mendocino State Mental Hospital, which is probably a Tartarian building, um, where the People's Temple medical technicians actually trained. So while he was there at his, quote, volunteer job, he attended temple services and helped build the new Redwood Valley Temple Building. Mm. So um, <laughs> so is, he got financial support from his father. And, of course, Larry donated 25 percent, which is called the tithe. It's tithe the 10 percent, but whatever. Uh, Jim Jones is a quarter. But uh, check this out. Even at this early stage, Dr. Layton was indirectly supporting the experiment. Um, so apparently, Carolyn and Larry got divorced. But uh, And the story goes that Jim Jones had sex with one of them. We don't know which. And, and also forced Larry to perform a homosexual act on someone and made the 
made his wife watch. I mean, yeah, I guess. But that's but apparently, I mean, when you when you look at the deprogramming and control techniques of cults mm-hmm. from the seventies and stuff, forcing them to commit sexual acts against their will was just. I mean, it's basically like a common procedure. It is. You know, then you you add the you add you add mind altering drugs on top of that, and then you have them in the grip of this like complete ego crisis. Yeah, I mean, you, you know, and these people, and again, well, in the abuse over and over and over and over again, it's not just it's not just that you know the, the breaking of these people. You can't just be like, all right, you know, okay, we're cool now. Well, you have to do this sexual act, like that might be part of it, but there, there's usually a buildup. You know what I mean? It's not that you don't. First thing you do is they don't make you have a homosexual act. They might, right. they might, but I doubt it. Right? It's something that they. It's something that they work in there when 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 they they want to break you down for an additional, you know, for additional work. Mm-hmm. So, um, so Carolyn uh, and, and Carolyn and Jim Jones actually, uh, Jim Jones actually announced the divorce at a temple meeting. Like much to Larry's surprise, obviously. Yeah, that's a great um, way to find out, right? Right, 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 right. So, um, Larry was ordered to uh, to move to Reno to file for divorce, um, and then and then uh, Jim's like, "Oh, by the way, on your way out, pick one of these chicks over here, and that's your next wife." So he picked an he picked another woman, and uh, Carolyn became Jim Jones's favorite side hoe, and. Um, she actually married another guy named Michael Prokes. And yeah. so that the child that Jim Jones fathered, who was named Chemo, um, would be, quote, legitimate. Uh, so this, this whole thing is just really weird. You have the weird sexual dynamics, like just as you have with every other cult, um, you know, whether it be wife swapping or jokes about wife swapping all the time. Um, it's just very odd, you know, um, these people just do this i don't know um yeah he it's it's also funny because after that larry went on to he was forced to study to be an x-ray technician yes and and then once a week he uh he studied with other temple students to in military tactics and guerrilla warfare yeah this sounds very odd but okay you know, you just, know like, it sounds like, like something you hey, see. We're a these church. Guys. We're a church. Yeah, right. Once we're... a week. Once a week, they we get together and I don't know, study like military tactics and guerrilla warfare. <laughs> learn how to learn how to field <laughs> learn how to field strip our M4s. Yeah, and, and and he knows how to run an X-ray machine. Right, which is important. Right, right, right. Um, but yeah, okay, so. He went to uh, yeah Santa Rosa Junior College, yeah another training ground for temple technicians. That's amazing how all this is so coincidental. Um, do we have any more any more of the Layton family that are involved? Was there? Um, well, Larry Layton, Larry Layton mm-hmm. is the guy that supposedly shot the congressman. Yeah, he's the one and, who shot, and he never, Congressman he never Ryan. did any, he never did any actual hard time for it. No, he was so, like, the, like uh, he got to, he got to roam around scot free in the United States once he was extradited back from Guyana, mm-hmm. 
like he spent six months in a guy in East prison, supposedly. And then like he got as far he, as we know, wrote, you know, as far as we yeah. know, he did. Yeah. He, and he wrote it. He, he wrote a book. He wrote like a tell all book where he said that his entire family was homosexual and that his dad was forced to dress like a kid, dress like a dress like a, a girl. Woman, a girl a when he, yeah. That whole thing. Yeah, so like, 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 is that what Larry, happened? To, isn't that what happened to Richard Spencer too? Is it like his sister and her friends made him dress like a girl? I know, I know less about Richard Spencer than most. There was just there was no, there was a video going around last week where he said that. Well, something doesn't shock me about that. Oh no, I'm not. My shock is completely not imagined whatsoever. Anyhow, go back, go back to Larry. Well, uh, press reports also claimed that independent investigators had taken survivors, including him, uh, a step further, saying that the government failed to warn the congressman about Jonestown because the jungle camp was actually a CIA mind control experiment. Hmm. So it's it, it, it's like, oops, we forgot to let the congressman who is going down there know. Right, right. You know, uh, out of everybody that that on the attack that killed the congressman for other Larry Layton was the only person that the government would end up prosecuting for the attack. Well, but because their because their evidence was so flimsy, they just kind of like glossed over on it. I mean, kind of. Yeah. I mean, like like three years had passed since the Jonestown massacre. Um. The incident was basically just a memory that everybody wanted to forget, more or less. Nobody really wanted to prosecute anybody. Like Larry, like everybody's like, ah, we can prosecute, I guess. I don't know. We got, oh, we got any charges? We're going to bring up charges? What kind of charges you got? You got trauma? Nothing. Uh, U.S. Attorney, well, actually, the, the San Francisco prosecutor had had a past relationship with the People's Temple, was probably a member. Um, the uh, U.S. Attorney William Hunter was in charge of, um, of investigating the people's temple. And he had a close personal relationship with the temple attorney, Tim stone ever since both worked as an assistant district attorneys in San Francisco to cover up the 1975 election fraud perpetrated by Jim Jones. When they were work when he was working on the Moscone campaign. So see how cyclical all this stuff is in San Francisco politics and the CIA is all tied into all this stuff. And, you know, you also have, you know, U.S. attorneys and you have the church involved, the temple involved with these U.S. attorneys involved with the FBI, the FBI who is involved with, um, you know, this whole thing. And then you have the CIA who's involved with the Jonestown, quote, massacre. Uh, one of the next siblings is Annalisa, who isn't uh, as heavily involved as? Oh yeah, there was there's a mention of her. I forgot about that. I kind of glossed over what she. So so she had a husband named Ray that she claimed was had psychic powers and worked for the CIA and was able to do remote viewing. I mean, okay, no that that's literally stuff that the CIA spends a lot of money on and probably right. does. So I believe that. So so apparently she left the temple. She was one of the defectors okay. early on. Okay. You know, like still in California before all the scandals and stuff actually start coming out about the People's Temple. She claimed she could no longer believe in Jones's faith healing powers. I, you know, which is which is funny because everybody, everybody on the inner circle 
of the People's Temple were in on the fact that the faith healing was completely fake during the during the sermons. Yeah. You know, it's I don't know. It's it, it was uh, it, it was Deborah. OK, so the daughter, Deborah Layton, mm-hmm. is actually one of the most vocal survivors of the Jonestown experience. What's the daughter's name? Deborah Layton. Deborah? Deborah Layton Blakely. She De- she was the youngest and she was uh she was the spoiled brat of the family. Deborah Layton Blakely? Yes. Oh, this one. Yeah, she was the one that claims in the uh survivors documentary she was like I was just a young a young girl and Jim Jones came to me on the bus during one of our tours. Yeah, she was, was kind of cute back in the day. Looked a little bit like she's cute. Except now I look at these pictures. She looks like a tranny. Yeah, he whispered. He whispered in my ear. Do you know what you do to me? Yeah, that's. I, yeah, <laughs> it's just such a smooth pickup line, Jim. The and amount- apparently, apparently, he had a bedroom in the back of one of the buses. And oh, it was she an office. Wait for him was, back it was, there. It was an office with a bed and a de- well, a desk and a bed. I mean, you know, in case they traveled overnight. Right. But in in truth, what what the what the documentary failed to gloss over was she was heavily involved in the books and the books are incredibly important when you talk about the People's Temple because they were running multiple welfare scams throughout the entire state. They were making millions running welfare welfare scams scams. running old people's welfare taking yeah making these people even poorer by having them donate their houses to the church and that kind of stuff so that they would collect more welfare and collect and give it to the church but yeah but they would prop up they would they would prop up state representatives that were talking about boosting the welfare rules Mm -hmm. in california Mm -hmm. and then they were they had everybody working from the the temple inside these government buildings where the welfare checks and everything were being circulated and they were they were completely running welfare check scams 100% and she was in charge of the she was in charge of the books she was yeah so now you have and of course in, in the documentary she's just this nice sweet girl who was just innocently taken in by Jim Jones and his charisma seduced seduced by Jim Jones and the charisma I smelled alcohol. There wasn't any alcohol allowed. And then he says to me, do you know what you do to me? <laughs> right. Like, it's so smooth. He sits down next to me on the bus. And, and I could smell booze. Well, no, she did the whole thing. what she could do to me? She, smelled, she said she could smell the booze on him. So she yeah. did give him that, like, that kind of, like, it was kind of creepy or creepy or whatever. But anyway, um, so that's the Layton family. That's the entire family pretty much involved, except for Dr. Lawrence Layton, who was in charge of orchestrating this entire thing. Well, her husband. Oh, the yes. Where she gets the Blakely name from. He was an MI6 agent. Oh. And he and he was the guy that started the revolution in Guyana. Who? Because Guyana used to be a, a United Kingdom territory. It was a British, yeah, it was a British but territory. Then they, it was British Guyana but, at one point, yeah. Right, but then they were given air quotes independence, but sure. they weren't so happy about that independence part. No, so it was like ins- it was like it was like that one scene in. Never mind, forget it. Who gives you the authority to put me in charge? <laughs> right, because that's what happened. It's like you know, I think. Well, you're in charge. Well, what, what do you mean I'm in charge? What gives you the authority to put me in charge? All right. Well, until then, I'm in charge. Yeah, you're right. You're in charge. 
Anyways, go ahead. Yes, that's basically what happened. They were like, we don't want to be in charge of ourselves. We can't deal with it. Supposedly. That's the that's the that's the story. Um, and so this Blakely guy, right? How's the Blakely guy come in? Uh well, Phil Blakely, mm-hmm. uh Philip. Uh George Philip Phil Blakely. <laughs> uh he was the son of a wealthy gentleman farming and uh, farming family in Northumberland, England. Uh, he was also a Quaker. Ironically, oh, what a surprise! Yeah, where and he met he met the Laytons uh, in the Quaker in the Quaker Church, and that's how he he married young Deborah. Um, but when it comes to when it when it comes to the way Jim Jones saw Phil. Uh, Jones was impressed with Blakely's practical intelligence and knowledge of farming, both resources needed for the agricultural activities that he envisioned. Yeah, you know, so he mm-hmm. sent he sent uh, he sent Blakely down to Guyana, you know, to help with the creation of Jonestown. But you see, Jonestown was already basically created because it turns out that Jones this the space where Jonestown was was a place uh, where the Shalom project was occurring and not Jewish project. Funnily enough, not Jewish. Yeah. It was a CIA sponsored, uh, place to train mercenaries, all of them, black, uh, green berets, ex Vietnam war veterans. And they were being trained to help foment a revolution in Angola. So he was in charge of all that as well. So the uh, Guyana CIA installed oh prime minister was named Forbes Burnham. Hey, did you forget and, about how bad Deborah was when she was young? Oh yeah, she was she was a bad. She bad was so brat. bad, so bad that Berkeley High said no, she cannot come back. You got to be pretty bad, Berkeley High, to get kicked out of Berkeley High. Well, she went to well first she went to go live with the Moors in in Davis. And at Davis High, they're like, nope, get her out of here. If she received psychological counseling, she can stay. She didn't want to do psychological counseling. She went back to Berkeley. And then she got kicked out of Berkeley and went to um, El Cerrito High, which is like literally up the street. So, yeah. So it took her five years and eight different schools to graduate from high school. Well, you know she was smoking. Mm-hmm. Um, but she... The parents took drastic measures and enrolled Deborah at Ackworth, a Spartan Quaker boarding school in Yorkshire, England, which is how she met Phil. Well, with fellow student, fellow student, that's that's because he was at Ackworth. That's where he met Deborah. Yeah, uh, very very coincidental, like this, mm-hmm. the same way some of the musicians seem to have met each other around Laurel Canyon at the right. time. Right. So they're at they're prisoners of Azkaban, and they're um, making. Wait, that's the wrong movie. Um, but so the, the, so everybody in the family had had a bit of a uh, a bit of a of a deal, uh, some sort of connection with Jim Jones. Annalisa's was strictly professional. She did not have sex with him. No, of course not. Right. You know, but her husband, Ray, was a CIA psychic. Mm-hmm. So. Right. Um, 
So Deborah and Phil actually were the uh, Temple's planning commission in 1973. They were the planning commission, right? The PC, well, they were the Temple's elite, actually. They were the head of the planning commission. So the, the elite, they were the guards, the aides, the medical technicians who would become like the middle management. Um, they were like yeah, 80 of them or whatever. Uh, and they were easily distinguished because this is where like the racism comes in. Uh, it was as distinct as black and white because the difference was black and white. The PC members were exclusively Caucasian, and the general congregation was predominantly black. Um, yeah, the planning commit like in every Jonestown book I've I've looked into, the planning commission white. was all white. Yeah, typical of a of a Jew run psyop, just like the um, the NAACP and every other you know quote black organizations always had a Jewish head a quote white head but jewish you know but um yeah a bunch only a couple of people small contingency of blacks were they quit the temple and protest they're like you know only a few of them were like the rest of them are like you know what we don't mind the way people being in charge yeah it, it, it's very strange I, i've also seen different it's almost different- like it's almost like they don't mind not having control of themselves as long as somebody else directs them they're happy Weird. And I've also seen things that state that the air quotes black parishioners of the People's Temple, especially in the San Francisco portion of this experiment, were props. Yes. Like they weren't they weren't they weren't they didn't actually believe in the message or anything. It was all just a very big put on. Absolutely. And- because because at this point they needed to uh, the hippie movement was you know, was so big in the Bay Area and they needed to uh, to blackface it, to blacken it up, whatever they call it, blackwash it. And so they had this hippie socialist, come love everybody, free love, free this, free that, or whatever. I don't know if they're doing free love. But um, there was no, there was no love. Everybody was homosexual. And if they, they Jim Jones would say, well, this is later on, I guess he would get into this. If everybody was gay, but... And if you wanted to have sex, you were just coping. That's just weird. But um, yeah, in, the, in that documentary of the survivors, the one the one black guy in there <laughs> who was just like he was, he was like, talking about how during one sermon, like or or one meeting, uh, what was the question? The question was, uh, how many of you men oh, in it here wasn't would in have sermon. sex? It wasn't have, in a sermon. This was, was in, a meeting. But how many how meeting, many yeah. men in here would have sex with Jim Jones? No, if did. you had to or, or did. did yes? And, and like and all these dudes were raising their hands, and and his his cope was, you know, if that's what they're doing, that's cool. But I'm not there yet. <laughs> right. <laughs> He's like, but I raised my I'm hand not. just so nobody would notice. I'm not but, there yet. Right, but he but but you totally you totally did get the implication that he raised his hand, right? Right. Like yeah, he did yeah. wait, did he say or did he not say no, he, he actually it raised his hand? It was just heavily hand? heavily implied that his hand went up just so he didn't stand out. He basically said everybody's hand was up but mine, so I just might put my hand up just so I didn't look stupid. Kind of a thing. Anyway, yeah, there was a lot of stuff. That was the same guy. That was the same guy that um his him and his wife we're at the church and whatever. And when he went back, he was, he, he's like, he was back in, in the back hallways, um, in the back rooms, you know, in the limbal space. Anyways, um, liminal, sorry, not limbal. Uh, Jim Jones comes out of the office and he's like, Hey buddy, um, 
you know, if you want me to fuck you in the ass, I, we can do that. Yeah. Just, oh, he put his hand put on his, hand, his, on put, his shoulder. Put his hand on his way. shoulder. He's like, listen, listen, sport. If you want me to put it up your butt, you know, just, just say it. We'll, we'll do it. He was like, I- I'm good, sir. Right. Have a nice yeah. day. Like, you know, he didn't know what to He said he, he acted like he didn't know what to say. But like at that, that point, I knew something was wrong. Um, but everybody just excused like like the thing was is so was wrong, but still flew all the way to South America and watched his family die in his arms. Right. This is the guy who held his the same wife. guy, the yeah. same same guys, you know, said, you know, I felt like something was wrong when he said he was going to fuck he, me in the ass. He, he but, wanted to. Um, he asked me I, if I wanted him to. But yeah, and, and like I did. Yeah, you know, I felt weird when I found out all the men in the room already have had that happen. But but I still I followed him go, to Guyana. Yeah, yeah, I'm still gonna go to South America. It still sounds where he cool. talks about where he talks about if we all die, we we die in revolution or whatever. Well, I don't know this guy. That whole his whole revolutionary story, suicide. Revolutionary suicide was what they yeah it was the 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 term that was coined. Couple of couple of terms were coined in this as is every you know you have drink the Kool Aid, um, that one you just said. I know I'm joking revolutionaries I'm tired dude I haven't had a day off in a minute so I know brother my days uh, my days are blending together so all the like to to think of if you think about how remarkable it is that this event occurred and the most uh the most lasting cultural reference is that people are supposed to understand Mm-hmm. When you when you say it is don't drink the Kool Aid, right? Or you're drinking the Kool Aid, or he's drank the Kool Aid, or right, yeah, right? Like or, or just reference, like, man, can you imagine being the like the company that ran Kool Aid and being like, man, do we need to rebrand? And it was Flavor Aid, I believe, it wasn't even Kool Aid. It's like Kleenex, <laughs> yeah, it, but it was but it was puffs. But but know. because in a video that he like in a propaganda video that he took about how great things are there, he's going mm-hmm. through different containers. He's like. We got peas here. We got black-eyed peas here, yep, yep, and yep. we got Kool-Aid in here. Yep, he, he holds up the Kool-Aid. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, and again, when you think about it, this was the first mass death of Americans. Well, you know, implying um, till until nine eleven, implying. But uh, right, like this was, and this happened. You know, it was what nine hundred and eighty-one. How many people died? Supposedly, implying. I gotta stop saying that, but like, just 19, assume nine hundred eighteen. Okay, nine hundred eighteen, which which is yeah, which is adds up to eighteen, and which is the the aces and eights, which is the dead man's hand. There's a lot of eighteens in this. Pythagoras would be pleased, but uh, yeah, there's a lot of the dead man's hand symbolism in this. The the eighteens, the one and the eight and the nine together. Um, the days there's there's so much to that we we have so much to get more to this. I mean, this is a series, um, and we are going to cover other cults as well that use MK Ultra mind control programming, and we'll probably can get into other forms of this MK Ultra stuff. But for now, uh, yeah, I'd, I'd like to I'd like to get into the Heaven's Gate and Raelians. Well, we did Heaven's Gate. We did Heaven's and Gate. The, the Moonies. Yeah, the Raelians is one that I want to talk about because this the, the Raelians one will get more into how the government funds programs that it itself, quote, can't do, 
right? So cloning was the Raelian's experiment, right? Um, with this one, you had a, this was a medical experiment. This was a, a uh, uh, racial control mechanism, via a chemical racial control mechanism. Um, but again, like every cult, Jim Jones had sex with everybody. You know what you do to me? Yeah, uh, she said. She said she admitted. So uh, Deborah claimed. Deborah claimed to having been one of his lovers, but turned the experience as nothing short of rape. Ah, mm. uh, yeah, yeah, of course, of course. Yeah, the bad girl of Berkeley High, right? The bad yeah. girl of Berkeley High, right, 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 right. Um, I'm not. Yeah, I'm not trying to victim blame or anything. No. You know? Well, here's the thing, dude. Don't forget that we're talking about like with the the. With the welfare scandals, don't forget that the temple established its own private check cashing company. Right. Under the guise of helping out senior citizens by relieving them of the fear of having to go to a bank and possibly being mugged. After they, notation they, on the member's record card, the information was duplicated on a deposit slip to the check cashing company to the account in California Canadian Bank in San Francisco. Hundreds of green and gold SSI and SSA checks, as well as ordinary paychecks, were cashed and deposited each month. The church would then withdraw an identical amount of cash ostensibly for its payments to its members so the bank would not become suspicious this cash was then taken back to the church mingled with various other donations and redeposited in the church's own savings or checking account in the bank of montreal and san francisco so deborah was kept quite busy she was quite busy doing laundry lots and lots of laundry money laundry money laundering of temple funds um, lots of it. Lots and, she, and lots of it. So these people were losing their money, their pensions and paychecks and stuff, these these elderly people, but they were also getting social stuff. So they were getting the communal and foster care homes and medical when they needed medical and whatever. They were getting their medicine when they needed it and they were getting, do, getting to see doctors when they needed it because that was one thing that Jim Jones did or the program did do was you know when the pensioners signed over their government check every month, to Jim Jones, he also made sure that they were pretty well taken care of, fairly well taken care of, at least. Give them that. Like, while they were in San Francisco. That was, that was part of the, the hucklebuck, I guess, to get him to do that. But this was the grift, where they were actually grifting off of actual people. They were, what they were doing is they were, they were getting properties. Uh, people, were, people were donating their houses or selling their houses and donating the cash. You know, this was the grift aspect of it, where the cult leader would just use their, you know, use their, um, their charisma to actually grift off their cult cult leaders where they would say they were doing stuff and they were giving them a little bit of something you know they were getting to hold jim jones's hand and like get to see jim jones up and close in person but um you know and maybe get to stay in their communal house or whatever but also they gave up all their money yeah the old folks home was super shady right right um but they they lived in they lived in the lap of luxury according to him and all their all their needs were met I mean, technically, yeah. I mean, so whatever. Anyways, that that part of it. So Deborah, Deborah was the Deborah was the uh, the, the laundry system there. Um, the temple's wealth was estimated at somewhere between twenty and fifty million dollars, and this is in 1970, 74. So uh, Deborah maintained a hundred thousand dollar cash slush fund in her uh, in her office for quote incidentals. And she was one of the most outspoken air quotes survivors. Yes, of course. Of the of the the psyop and, and 
because everybody else is dead, she's able to just, you know, yes, embellish away. And yeah, yeah. Uh, she had a book deal and other stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. So, you know, that's the continuation of the CIA psyop. So every day they're psyoping. Oh, uh, I think that was a was that good part one. You got any real? Do you think you want to add? See, we're getting to about ten minutes after two hours. So, oh uh, man, this this has been a very information packed part one, mm-hmm. and I, I I was wondering if we were going to get all this information into even two hours. I guess we we got a lot of it in. Do we know? miss? What are we missing? What do we What do we forget? Oh, dude, I dude, we're not missing much. Okay, I I mean like. We could start off part two with the different overseas operations, including the the revolution in British Guyana. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's, which, there, there's so much stuff, and and again, these operations are run by the CIA. So this is all this is all CIA stuff. So, and then and then Jim Jones's uh, missionary work in Brazil. Yep, boys of yeah. Brazil. Yep. Yeah, it, yeah. This 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 where he uh, what do they call it when they what do they call it when you're you're no longer a greenhorn? You kind of you know, get your work in. Yeah, that's where he, journeyman. That's where he, yeah, yeah. That's where he did his journeyman work. Yeah, yeah. before he took over as king of as the Elvis of the cult world. <laughs> where he, Pretty. Pretty slick, man. His it, it, watching his sermons before he would gotten like bloated and weird. Elvis, dude. Like he did, he was Elvis yeah, before like, Elvis. Yeah, it's he, like proto Elvis without the singing. Just as crypto Jewishy. Yep. Every single time, man. <laughs> All right. Well, well, I'm gonna wrap this one up, and we will be back on Tuesday with the live Nationalist Inquirer over on Pilled D Live and Odyssey. Um. Sorry, guy who doesn't like Dogbot on the episode. <laughs> Brett. <laughs> yeah, sorry, Brett. I didn't know you said his name. Nah. All right. But if he listens to it, it'll be like, oh, they said my name. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah, donate something, Brett, like a super chat. Faggot. Yeah. Faggot. Anyway, um, yeah, we're going to get out of here. Grognak has written another creepypasta. Uh, in case you didn't know it, Grognak does a good bit of the creepypasta writing around here. So I try. Yeah. If you like what he writes, the Dungeons and Dragon y stuff he does, he did the he wrote the hat man that I read last week. It was that was pretty cool. Um yeah, so good deal, Grognet. There's another one ready for this week, is that correct? Yes, there is. Right on. Well, that will be at the end of this, and uh we're gonna get out of here and we'll see y'all later. Time travel makes you gay. One day, in late January, I was driving my truck home from work, and it was early morning, just past six. I'd just finished my overnight shift at the warehouse, I got home, took a shower, and went to sleep. That was my routine, and this day was no different. I had the local classic rock station on, just coasting in the slow lane. I opened up the windows to let the cool wind hit me in the face helping me to keep my heavy eyelids from closing on me. Boy, it was a hell of a week. And suddenly, Chris Cornell's voice was interrupted by the three alert beeps. This is the emergency broadcast system. A storm warning is in effect from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. 
take proper storm provisions for... Click. I'd heard enough. Well, looks like I'll be hibernating this weekend. And that put a smile on my face. That means I didn't need any excuses not to leave the house. And I wasn't really feeling like following through with any plans. I was too tired to think about going out for drinks or anything else. I pulled off on my exit and into the small corner store a block from my apartment. Gotta get the usual snowstorm milk and bread. There was quite a buzz of movement in and out of the store, and the line for the counter went all the way to the back freezers, which were quite emptied out by the time I got in. May as well grab some brewskis, too. Probably not going out much at all tomorrow. And the people around me had an anxious bustle to them. You'd think they were new to New England winters. Don't any of them want a shovel? After almost bumping into several nervous commuters, I got back to the truck and got myself home to my apartment building. I marched upstairs with my beer and opened the door to greet Frank, my cat, and went into my after-work routine. Feeding Frank, showering, and having dinner, which is breakfast for most people. I pulled down the blackout drapes and hit my pillow face first, out like a light. When I opened my eyes, I looked at the flashing digits on my clock. Twelve, twelve, twelve. I lost power. Should have prepared for that. Better leave the fridge closed. I stumbled over my dirty clothes that lay in heaps on the floor and got myself to the windows so that I could draw open the curtains and shades for light. I couldn't believe what I saw. The snow was over the first floor windows across the street. A few neighbors were outside trying to dig their doorways in, and most of the cars were buried where they were parked. The streets looked like they had some plows passing by, but not for some time now. They weren't drivable, that's for sure. I picked up my phone, which luckily got charged before the power went out, and there was a group chat from work. Closed for the day. <laughs> the warehouse never closes down. It's good for the weekend, guys, huh? I also had a bunch of alerts from the weather alert apps on my phone. State of emergency, it read. Storm warning in effect for another 48 hours. Damn, another 48 hours of this? Maybe I'll even have Monday off. Should have gotten more beer. But I fed the cat, I took a bathroom break and did the sensible thing, and went back to bed. May as well catch up on sleep, huh? I pulled the drapes closed again and fell asleep to the buzzing motors of snowblowers. I woke up in the middle of the night when Frank jumped on me. I slept for a long time. I peeked outside and could see that it was dark again. Really dark. The power never came back on. I popped on a pair of wool socks and a hoodie and made my way to the kitchen to get some food. I just went with a peanut butter sandwich so I didn't have to open the fridge. I sat and ate, picking up my cell phone and taking it off airplane mode. A flurry of messages came through. Mom, power out here. Dad has the wood stove going. Keep warm and don't use the roads. Love you. A few were from friends. Tony wrecked his truck, and apparently he was over-determined to cruise around. I sent out a few messages, or tried to, but 
they wouldn't send until a signal was available. Must be a pretty bad storm to be affecting everything like this. I put my phone back on airplane mode to save the battery and lit a candle. I sat and read until I felt tired and bored and finally just went back to bed. Not much to do with no power. Some freaking weekend. In the morning, I felt eager to stretch my feet and get some air. I went through my usual routine to start my day as best I could with no power. I got bundled up for the elements and walked out my door. The neighbors on my floor were yelling at each other on the other side of the hallway. I guess some people can't be cooped up together long without fighting. Makes me glad it's just me and Frank. And the elevator was out, so I took the stairway. Down and down I went, five whole stories. When I got down to the building lobby, it was cold. And I was met with a sight that shocked me. The front door was open, and several of the building tenants were shoveling their way out of the door, shoveling the snow into the lobby. An older man was arguing with one of the men who was tossing the snow inside. What's going on? I interrupted them. There's no way out, and the building is being buried. I had never seen that much snow before. It was up over the door for sure. There was nowhere to shovel the snow to which is why the men were tossing it right into the lobby. I went back upstairs and checked my phone. No messages going in or out. No signal. And I grabbed my coat and decided to go to the roof. It was inaccessible. Too much snow on the roof to even open the door from the stairway. To the fire escape, then. I went out my kitchen window, which had a steel fire escape stairway attached to the side of the building. It was a short climb down. The snow was up to the third floor. There had to be more than 20 feet of snow. I've never seen this before in my life. Not here in Vermont, not anywhere, even the movies. I just stood there, eye level with the flashing street lamps. The parking lot was gone buried. Not that driving was any an option. Where would I go, anyway? I made my way back up the stairs and in through the kitchen window. It was getting very cold inside with no heat running. I made myself a tuna sandwich and sat back down to read, eventually crawling into a pile of comforters to keep warm and conk out. That was three days ago. It hasn't stopped snowing. Maybe it never will. People in the building are in a full panic, and most of us weren't prepared for anything like this. Food rations are low, the water pipes are frozen. The men, trying to tunnel out the front door, made no progress until they started trying to tunnel up and out. Today... Today it collapsed on them, burying them in a tomb of snow. The families here are making the decision to stay or go while they still can. The only way out is off the side of the building, out the windows, and the snow is just piling up higher and higher. It's now or never. I can't stay here. 
or it's going to be my tomb. I sling my bag over my shoulder and take one last look at my place as I go out the window. Frank is stuffed in a bag slung across my front side, bundled up against me. I was going to open that last can of cat food and leave him, but it would have driven me mad with guilt leaving the little guy behind. We step out onto the blanket of snow, now only a couple feet under my fifth floor window. I gotta make it to mom and dad's. I gotta make sure they're okay. I start my long trek, turning back after a few strides to look at my building, and barely any of it is sticking out of the snow. It looks so strange seeing it buried in white. Everything looked strange. Most of the city was gone, below the snow. It just kept falling and falling in wet chunks, so heavy it it seemed impossible to see, and this world just washed away in white. I start walking, starting a new chapter in my life. Hell, a new chapter for us all. Is this how the world ends? A new ice age?